Western Contours podcast, sharing experiences, providing insight, and looking for solutions to become better hunters. Whether you're chasing bugles over the next ridge, sitting a stand out east, this is about passion, pursuing our dreams of field, our lifestyle, the betterment of self and community, the enlightenment that comes from those moments spent in God's creation. Through these conversations, I hope you find insight, inspiration, education, and motivation to push beyond your limits. And forcing myself not to hold the weights up under here, but hang them down at my side. It's horrible. All right. It's it's horrible. So you only need to carry one weight. It's it's five to ten pounds in a one hand. So you don't have to carry two. Oh fuck. I had <laughs> no idea. Are you shitting me? I saw it and I was like, man, it really sounds like he's carrying two weights. And then I'm you posted it again. Two weights, man. <laughs> oh, man. You should see the people driving around in minivans in my neighborhood looking at me like I'm some sort of Down syndrome kid yeah. walking around the sidewalks carrying weights in a backpack. I still see you. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I saw you. I saw you carrying that or talking about carrying two. And I was like, oh, I'm going to just have to break it to him when we record. Oh. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm going to follow through with the rest of this week carrying both of them just because, fuck it. Already, already been there. Started, yeah. Already doing it. I only have, I think I have like eight more miles, seven more miles to go. So I'm just going to finish it. But it's horrible. Yeah. I mean, it, it that is horrible. It, it, you know, part of it was we, we kind of take it for granted. And, you know, when we, when, when the pack out challenge was started, it was that, you know, where are you at in terms of preparation? Well, now that we're ramping yeah. all that up with Hunt Fest, it was like, okay, are you preparing for Hunt Fest? If you're preparing for Hunt Fest, then you should be doing it now. This is going to take people into season and they're, they're going to be blown away about what they're doing oh. on the mountain, dude. Look, I am so excited for spring bear. I mean, some of the areas we hunt spring bear down around Lewiston and shit like that, there's some steep canyons and I'm usually a dog in spring bear. I drag an ass and I'm like literally thinking like spring bear is going to be a freaking walk in the park. Oh, yeah. I mean, our spring bear camp, we, we like to call it a beer drinking camp where we hunt bears mm -hmm. for a few hours during the day, <laughs> but like, it's not going to be a problem at all. Yeah. I mean, this thing, like I said, the first time, Carrying a 45 or 50 pound pack the first week, I'm like, I'm doing this for a sport that's like months away. And then I was like, well, no, I started in April. So, I mean, I, when, when, but that's, the, but that's when, an excellent point, right? Is in, and, and I, and that's part of the issue is guys will go and you'll plan, 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 plan. And then the, the execution of the preparation doesn't begin until the 11th hour. And then you see, yeah. you know, you go out with somebody and they're barely moving on the mountain and you're like, yeah. you know, what are you doing, dude? Like, let's go. You don't even have a quarter on you yet. No, the base <laughs> fitness that this thing is going to, is going to give me, I do, do you know Gabriel down at Ivory Holsters? Oh, absolutely. That's my boy. Yeah, me too. We, we dick around over summer and send dad, send each other. Like, that's why all my posts of working out over the summer have the hashtag alpha dad. Mm -hmm. Like I live in freaking suburban Coeur d'Alene and I, I put the sled and like the weights and everything. And I walk around with a backwards hat, no shirt on my wife's like, what in the fuck are you doing? I said, <laughs> I need to let everybody know who runs this neighborhood. That's right, <laughs> buddy. Send it to Gabe and he sends me one back. It's he like, and I just recorded last crazy. week too. Oh, did you? Yeah, we haven't recorded in, in seems like it's been like three years. And God, uh, he's such a good dude. Oh, dude we're I gonna love that dude. We're gonna have dinner down at the at 
hunting, the whatever, western, the western hunting. Yeah. Oh, you're there. I'll see you there. Show SLC. Oh, you'll yeah. be down there yeah, as well. I'll be down there. Nice. I'm just going to roll in for Friday. I I wasn't going to. My kid plays hockey that weekend up in Kelowna, and I was like, shit. I love that show, yeah. and it's such a good opportunity to to meet people or work with like you and hang out with Gabe and some other relationships we have. And I'm like, I can't miss that. Yeah, like no, that's too I, good of a show. That that is my favorite expo period bar none just getting in there i'm like a kid in a candy store when i walk through the doors every year dude i know i missed I know. it i had to miss it last year and yeah uh, i wasn't bummed my granddaughter was born but yeah, yeah. it was you She's I, a cutie, it was, man thank you and i yeah. just been itching to get back so it's on this year no i'm looking forward wait. to it it's it's the only problem I have with that is that the two bars in Salt Lake City that allow you to drink after hours, like they are so <laughs> crowded with everybody there that it's hard to get in. So I remember last year we ended up, we went out to dinner with Gabe one of the nights and then every, like the rest of the Got Game group took off and went back home there. You know, they don't partake in, in beverages like that. And we went back to Gabe's hotel room and ended up drinking a bottle of whiskey and telling stupid stories. And then... Oh, you'll freaking love this one guy. So the guys that run the full draw film tour, Jade, Courtney, and Kevin, I'm really good friends with them. They're from Lewiston. I teach down in Lewiston. We went out to this Cajun restaurant in Salt Lake City. And anyone that's in Salt Lake just needs to look up Cajun food in Salt Lake. It's the best Cajun food I've had, even outside of the Southeast. Like, it's that good. We were... T- <laughs> there was like an hour and a half wait for the table. And you know how guys talk when they get around and have a few cock the restaurant closed at nine o'clock they let our waiter let us stay for an extra hour and 45 minutes he comes up to us at like 10 45 he's like hey guys time you, to go <laughs> you gotta go and we're like wait we wondered why nobody was here if we just offended him they're like well you've been loud but this has been the best table i've had working here in three years i'm laughing at all your stories <laughs> i mean and they yeah. tell her stories for sure it was it was a lot of fun, man. I love that show. Yeah, that is it's a blast, man. Year to year, I, it doesn't disappoint as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, me neither. So what was I going to say? Oh, also what I was going to tell you is I've been, you know, before I put the pack on, I was carrying two 40-pound dumbbells around. and uh, Yeah, farmer walking with them. Yeah, just up yeah. and down, up and you get that. What in the hell is this guy doing? Oh, I fucking love it. You know, I love it. I put I the pack it. on. I let do last week. I and I'm the one who came up with the challenges. And yeah. last week about killed me. It dude, about, dude I, I saw you smoked. try to do it with 45 pounds for yeah. speed. I was like, no, uh, that. I so that thought had crossed my mind. Like I'm just going to leave my 55 or 50 pounds in my pack, and I just add a couple jugs of water to get up to 55. I said I'm just going to leave that in my pack, and I put it on in the garage. And I said, nope, taking that bitch off, and I put a lighter weight in there. And I was, there's no way. But it's amazing with like what was it 35 pounds last week? How much different? Yes, 35 versus 55. If you would have like, put that pounds, 35, walk forever. Yeah, if you put that 35 on in the first week. It would have oh, felt heavy as shit. right. So, yeah. so when I that that first day I did it, I was like, man, that I was smoking these miles with the, yeah. with the fifty. I was like, ah, you know, no big deal, dude. Yeah. That I, so I took. I can take a couple of ways, like kind of through the neighborhood and golf course. Yeah. So I I took the low to high route. Oh, bad, yeah. bad, bro, bad. <laughs> oh, dude, I saw you on that one on that one story, and you were like, "This is not a good idea." Yeah, it's it was. Like, Thank God I didn't do that. <laughs> and it's hard enough. It's 
I hate how that sounds, but it is what it is. It's hard enough after you do your day, whatever that consists of, to go out and say, okay, I got to put X amount of miles in. I have to do it to hit it and get out there. And you don't want to do it. And then within the first mile and a half, you're smoked because the freaking uphill. I was like, oh, Oh, well, that's what is it coming up in sometime in the next couple of weeks, we have to do a 30% incline or something like that. Like every trail out here is covered in snow and ice. I'm just going to go find a golf course and basically walk up and down it 300 times. Like there's no way around that. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah, I did. I mean, it was all intentional, right? As Like as I was actually the weights were higher, right? Because we look out the pack out challenge, we're 65 pounds for a rear on the sandbags for the pack out challenge, right? It's your average size elk uh, rear quarter. Yeah. And the goal initially was to emulate it. And I'm like, man, that's going to be a tough task, right? And then to get folks to do that over a certain mileage. And initially the mileage was, I think I had it. Yeah, I'm not going to even tell you. It was way more. And everybody was more like. More than what you already have on there? Yeah. And here's the, th- here's the thing, right, is to a point, I'm time rich, right? Yeah. And and so I'm looking at it. I'm going, it's totally doable. Like if I had to do a makeup, I could do it Saturday morning early. I can go from the house to the lake and back and I'll yeah. get my miles knocked out. Well, then, you know, we're looking at it and, and my boys are like what are you doing? <laughs> they were like, I have no idea how I'm going to do that mile. And I'm like, you know what? Yeah, you're right. And it's yeah. been I, the, the overall turnout is less than I wanted it to be. Cause I really want people to, to not just be ready, but to, to push that comfort, right. To, to push outside yeah, of that, yeah. to do something ugly every day. Yeah. And and to get see the, the mental fortitude, yeah. To yeah. see the breakthrough, build that mental fortitude, yeah. And uh, but it's been awesome, like you and Connor, the dirty architect, Albert. Oh man, he's crushing it on that damn treadmill, dude. I was going to send him a message after we got off, saying like I'm Smoking, pretty freaking stoked for yeah. him. Well, the hardest part, I think, the hardest part with with Connor and how he's been doing it is we have on dirt that you got to do one. Yeah, week, that's going to be tough, right? The incline, he could do it, but. And Connor, if you're listening, I'm not bashing, but there is a piece of your mobility on the treadmill that lacks in your hips, right? Because of that propulsion, right? So you're not necessarily getting all the benefits on a treadmill. Now you're in there doing it, keep freaking killing, but you're missing that mobility piece in there, you know, with that hip mobility and getting those hips stronger and ready to go for it. Speaking of those hips, man, like my sides, like above my glutes, like not totally the front hips, like the sides of my hips, mm-hmm. like the tensor fascia latte or whatever there, man, after was it Monday, they were sore. And then last, I worked like a 12 hour day yesterday and got home from work after a couple hour drive. And my wife has dinner and stuff made. And I was like, Hey, can I go for a walk? And she's like, oh, yeah, take the dogs with you. I'm like, ah, I got, I got to carry these stupid ass dumbbells and take <laughs> dogs with me. And so I went for an hour long walk. My hips were screaming. I woke up this morning, took my kid to school. He goes to a Catholic school and we went to mass at 10. And I was like, boy, I really do not feel like walking around this pack today. And I put it on and I'm going to put it out there. Thank God for my angry white kid music. As I call it, that's in my earbuds. Like I am like, sometimes when I'm walking the trails and no one's around, like I'm like, 
singing Pantera right. and Rage Go and everything and, as loud yeah. as I can and just like taken off. But my hips, I thought they were going to be sore as hell today. And they were for the first like two and a half, three miles. But then, you know, with anything, like you do it enough, I was like, mm, they actually, I feel better this last mile of this mm-hmm. walk than I than did I the did. first few. Yeah. And some yeah. of it is the introduction to it, right? And, and kind of some of the thinking, because I was, I was like, well, that is hefty. And I told you the weight was higher. And I'm like, yeah. well, you know, it's going to be a shock to folks going into it, going from, you know, basically zero to 60. But then I'm like, you know yeah. what? Dan just finished the Chubb Challenge. And yes. there was a ton of people that were in the Chubb Challenge. Some of the people are participating yeah. in this. I'm like, so there's, th- there it is right there. Like, he killed the Chubb Challenge with everybody. You, those people are preparing and they're looking for something to do after that. Um, and this is totally different than that, too. Oh, absolutely. This is, like, this is... People don't do this stuff until, like you said, the 11th hour yeah, or yeah. the 23rd hour, if like in July lucky. and August. Yeah. yeah. They start to carry a pack. And my experience, most people are like, oh, I rucked one day this week. Like I put 40 pounds in and went for a three mile walk this week. And I, you know, you know, damn well, those guys are going to be dogs in the mountains. Yeah, like it's that, kill if them. you need them, to, if you need them to pack anything out, you might as just well expect them to take two days to do it. Yeah. Well, and then part of it too, right. Is you talk about, you know, putting 40 pounds in the pack. Most people aren't carrying for it. They're, they're like, you know, throwing 20 in or feeling it. Oh, okay, yeah. that feels like weight. You never really get the one. You're not testing yourself. You're not testing your mental or your physical by by waiting so late. And then you're not really looking at the functionality, the fit and function of your pack and how that's right. going to what happens if this is your year and you lay down that big majestic bull. Right. With nothing. And you're. You're totally screwed. Yeah, you're screwed. I mean, you're screwed. You're call, you're calling your buddies, hoping they have a four wheeler or a side by side to come and help your ass out. Yeah. So it's so, or you could be like some of the guys that I, I butchered for on the side this year. That, I, Jesus Christ, they shot like a couple bulls were shot towards last light, and they were long range rifle shots. I mean, people, everyone has their thing, right? Like. I wouldn't shoot long range rifle. Just not my thing. They wouldn't shoot 30 yards with a bow. It's not their thing. So I respect all different kinds, but they're like, Oh, it was dark. And you know, he took off after I shot him. So I left until the next morning. And so I, I pick him like, Oh, okay, no problem. I go pick him up and take him in my trailer to butcher him. I'll send you some pictures after this. Like the spaces between the meat and shit is green. It smells like a, like a baby's diaper, like baby vomit. I'm like, what the fuck? So then I call the guy and I said, Hey, and I just do it not out of spite, but I've like, all right, I can get the shank meat off for you. So I give him like eight pounds of shank meat. He's like, where's the rest of my animal? And I was like, you owe me 200 bucks and I'm going to take it to the dump for you. And he's like, well, is it not good? And I opened the back of my trailer, my butchering trailer. And he's like, what the hell is that smell? I'm like, it's your fucking elk. Like you left it. Like you said, you got it the next morning. He's like, oh, well, it was a, it was a bit of a late morning. We didn't get to it till like noon or one o'clock. And I'm just like, damn, like our buddy, like Jim Huntsman just released that episode with Dirk on hunting etiquette versus ethics. And I mean, that falls under hunting ethics, like shoot the animal and do everything within your power. Do a 12 hour like search. If you you find the damn animal, even if it's three. Yeah, the problem is, is the boogeyman comes out in the woods at night. He's not there during the daytime, so we're comfortable. But at night, Dude, the I'm boogeyman not... is definitely there. Bro, I don't like walking out at night. I mean, I'll be the first one to admit it. But, I mean, if I'm hunting in an area, I'm going to hunt to dark. 
And I swear to God, like there's that meme on Instagram, like the guy walking out of the woods at night singing, Jesus loves me. Yes, I know. Like like, I'm walking out of the damn woods at night thinking like, Jesus Christ, please watch over me right now. Like, let me get out of this damn mountain. That is a funny, that, that is a funny thing to me. Not to say that I've never, that I have never had that tingle in the back of my, uh, my mind about what's going to happen. But it's like, dude, you've been out here all day. You walked in in gray light. You took three naps. You you know yeah. what I mean? You did six miles. You've done it a hundred times. Nothing's ever happened. What's right. What happens when the sun goes down? That's you different know where mentally. every hole on the trail on the way yeah. out is. So you're not going to hurt your ankle or knee. No, I hear it, man. <laughs> it's so funny. Dude. It's scary. Yeah. It's scary as hell. It's funny. So, so yeah. that, you know, what you just touched on is, is kind of the perfect segue into some of the things that I had planned for this. And I didn't send okay. you anything. I figured we were going to have a great episode without oh, yeah. any bullets or anything. So why don't we do, why don't you do a brief introduction, some background, and then I want to jump into cut right. And then we'll get into the whole processing meat care. I really want to touch on that in-field best practices. Oh, you got it. That's, that's what I do. So Mike Edgehouse, I mean, for those that don't know, I live up in Northern Idaho. Founder, co-owner, however you want to put it, with the guys at Got Game Tech for Cutright Mobile. Fantastic, like stoked to talk about that platform. I've been hunting. Personally, I grew up in Ohio in a town of population 220 people. So I grew up in a time, born in the 70s, I grew up in a time that when you walked into school, the principal was there and she took your gun from you and put it in the gun safe and the principal's office. And you checked it back out on your way out of school because you went deer hunting or, you know, went and shot possums or whatever after school or after football practice. We had the opening day of deer season in Ohio never was school. And it was great. Like the entire football basketball team, we'd line the cornfields around the school, right? Cause it was agricultural Ohio, central Ohio. And at that first shooting light, I swear to God, guy, it sounded like Vietnam. (laughs) And it was, it was always great. Like we'd shoot and every deer in the field would fall over and you can't shoot rifles or center fire in Idaho. So it was 12 gauge slugs. Everybody would shoot, you know, wear bright orange. So you know where your teammate really is on the other side. And we'd all come out. Oh man, we were such dicks back then though. Like there'd be, you know, freaking whatever deer was in the field. Cause you could just kill doe, buck, whatever. Mm -hmm regardless of who killed the buck, the ones with the most seniority on the football and basketball team got that got the buck. They're like, that was, I shot that buck and they may have shot the fawn like 30 yards away, but that was their goddamn buck. And then we hung (laughs) them all on the oak trees in our front lawns. And I mean, it was like a sign of like, Hey, we hunt like it literally you drive through, you know, my hometown, Howard, Ohio, in the surrounding areas. And there was dead deer hanging from every oak tree in the front lawn. And we would just, we all did it ourselves, like butchers and processors and stuff like that didn't exist back then. So then from high school, I went to college in Cleveland. This is a good one. So I didn't know what the hell to do. I, I was fortunate enough. I played basketball in college for a while. And then I played rugby and played rugby after college as well. And I remember looking at my dad, I say, he's like, you graduate next year. And I was like, yeah. He said, what are you going to do? And I was like, I don't know. I'm going to go work on a fishing boat in Alaska. And he said, Oh, why'd you get an education to go do that? I'm like, well, I don't know. What do you think I should do? And he was like, this is true. God's story. He looked at me and goes, I think you should go to med school. I was like, 
oh, fuck, okay. Med school sounds pretty good. That sounds like a good <laughs> good thing to do. And I had, I mean, playing a couple sports and I had done a bu- bunch of volunteer work and like we had like student employment. I worked at the hospital because it was the best paying job there. It was like ridiculous at the time, like 11 bucks an hour. And so I had all the volunteers, shouted a few doctors, somehow got into medical school, have no idea how. And so went to Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine, got through the first two years of didactic stuff, completely fine. Learning's never been a problem. Started my rotations. And I remember this one. I didn't want to do any of the rotations in Philadelphia because I'm kind of allergic to cities. So I wanted to go elsewhere. So I was in Colorado. I did one in Montana, one in Colorado, just wherever I could. And after the one in Colorado, it was like three or four into the third year. I called my girlfriend, who's now my wife, on the phone. I said, hey, I'm quitting. And she's like, well, don't just finish out the last week of the rotation. Don't stop the rotation early. I was like, oh, no, no, no. I'm not quitting the rotation. I'm quitting med school. And she's like, you're doing what? And I was like, no, I'm quitting. Like, I'm driving home in four days and I'm quitting med school. And she's like, don't be stupid. Come home, relax. Like, we'll talk about it. And I was like, oh, okay. That sounds like a good idea. And I had left Denver in east of Denver on 70 is that town of called Limon, Lyman, mm-hmm. whatever, L-I-M-O-N. I was in Lyman and I called her and I said, okay, I'm done. And she's like, good. You thought about it. You're not quitting anymore. I was like, no, no, no I done. called school. <laughs> I actually called them and told them I quit. And she was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And I was like, <laughs> I wasn't having any fun. I didn't like what I was doing. I wasn't passionate about it. So I quit. And so I left Philadelphia with in an S10 single cab pickup with two dogs, moved to Colorado, lived in the back of my truck for about 11 months in Colorado, you know, just dirt bagging it up canyons and stuff like that. Worked at the Bitterroot Youth Home, which is a home for troubled youth down in Hamilton. Super rewarding, awesome experience. And in that time, got back a hold of some college professors. I was like, hey, I quit med school. And it was so funny. The two that I was really close with were like, we were wondering how long that would take. And I was like, <laughs> why the hell didn't you guys tell me that to begin with? And they're like, you got to make your own mistakes yeah. and move forward. And I said, well, I want to go to graduate school. I want to get a PhD. I want, I want your job. And they're like, you want my job in Cleveland? I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't want to live in Cleveland. I want to live out West so I can hunt, fish, do my thing. But my goal is to teach in college. And so had a fantastic mentor at Utah State University Finished a PhD in five years. I could have very easily extended it to 11 years. But Kristen, my wife, got a little impatient with me. She basically said, hey, you either need to shit or get off the pot. Like you finish this degree and we move forward and get married or you continue to stay in med school and we're going to go our separate ways or continue to stay in graduate school and we're going to go our separate ways. Um, She finished med school and is a fantastic doctor and I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll finish, I'll finish Check. this then. And Yeah, exactly. Like, okay, it's time to do that. And we moved around for her job and we were back in the early 2000s were transplants and living in the Bay Area, unfortunately, and I hated it. And we were so deep in the red, man, like so deep oh, in dude. the red. You to tell me about that and, place. Oh, and so I... I looked at her and I was like, hey, we can't afford this anymore. And we just had our our first son, Luke. And she was, I was like, we got to get, you got to get a different job. And she, I remember her saying this was 
our transfer to Idaho back in the early 2000s. She was like, I'm too busy to find a job. Just find one. You're in academia. It doesn't matter where we'll go there. And so my passion at the time was swinging flies for steelhead and a job in Lewiston, Idaho came up. I mean, there's a Clearwater River, the Snake River, the Grand Ronde River. I'm like, Ooh, this is steelhead nirvana. Like if I can get a job there, we're moving. Interviewed, got the job there. I was like, should I take it? And she's like, sure. And she had not been to Lewiston. And I accepted the job and we flew into Lewiston. And it was Lewiston, for those that don't know, is a mill town. And mill towns have a certain odor to them when there's an inversion. And we got off the plane and she just kind of looked at me like, what, what did you do? did you do? And... I mean, we were, we were there for eight, nine years. I, I love that town. I still work at that college. I love it. My closest friends are down there. Like talk to them all the time. I hunt around there, travel around there. And then anyway, like four or five years ago, it was one of those, okay, we need to move. And the choice is she wanted to move either to Washington. And I was like, absolutely not. 100% no, not moving to Washington. Yeah, that's like, like moving back to the Bay Area. Oh, it would be horrible, Oof. right? Like, I, I mean, jokingly, I call it the communist state of Washington. And like, absolutely not moving back there. And she's like, well, then we'll move back east. I'm like, no, absolutely not. And so we settled on either Boise or Coeur d'Alene. And if I was like, well, shit, Boise's blowing up. Like, that's basically a mini Bay Area at this point you know, time, maybe I'm wrong. My, I'm sure people will get a hold of us and be like, it's not that bad, but it's so crowded. It's, and it's getting desert. there. Yeah. It's getting there. Yeah. So if we moved to Coeur d'Alene, she could work in Spokane and I could keep my job down in Lewiston. And I was in Northern Idaho where I hunt anyway and have a life set up and we've been here and we love it. I mean, we live in suburbia. I would much rather live in the mountains, but man, I'm not going to split hairs over that one, live in a great area. And then, yeah. So I've, I do the academic thing. I have to be on campus a couple of days a week. And then the other days of the week doing the hustle for cut right. And then this year I started a mobile butchering business. Just honestly, I was like, man, I love butchering animals. Like I, I, people love like Finnish carpenters love producing a great product. Like right. butchering an animal like is kind. like, yeah, butchering an animal to me. I'm like, I get to get creative. I get to teach people when they want to learn. And like, I get to do them. Like I put my ear pods in, I put a chew in and I butcher animals for like the entire day. I'm like, what the hell could be better than this? So have you talked so I run to, that uh, gamut. I'm sorry. Have you talked to James Nash? Uh, we've communicated oh, okay. a, a couple of times. Yeah. Like, in fact, he's the one I, I just reached out to him actually mid butchering season. I was like, man, what bib or overall are you using because i've gone through now three pair of car hearts trying to get blood and stink off and yeah him and i have talked quite a bit yeah, like james is another guy that's like, like that man and and you want to talk about a phenomenal human being i think you guys would be two peas in the pod well and he's i spend a lot of time he's over in enterprise too and i actually run a field class over there and so he's he's on my short list to to get to know better but so yeah guy i i run that gamut, you know, and originally people were like, you don't want to do that. It would interfere with your hunting season. Was, but, yeah. It was the you first know thing cool, I thought. You know, what's cool about running your own business. Like I can put on my voicemail right. or whatever, like, Hey, I'm not available for the next seven days. Cause I'm hunting. Like, I'm so sorry. Like I can't get to it. And I thought quite honestly, I thought I'd 
have 12 people. Like I thought I would, I would legitimately, I'm like, I'll butcher like eight elk and a few deer here and there. Oh my God. I can't believe like, it was great. And I got some of the best relationships, like Jim Huntsman, you know, Jim, Mm -hmm. right? So his, I think it's his nephew goes by King Tuck on Instagram. I butchered an animal for him. He and I become super tight. I had guys say like, listen, I know you butcher animals, but can I bring my animal and you teach me how to do them? Like, hell yeah. Like I love teaching, man. Like education is my passion. That's what I really love to do is teach people how to do stuff when it comes to field dressing, butchering, whatever. And so, yeah, now we're, we're getting into show season and working on a huge update for cut, right. To get it out there with some feedback from our consumers and yeah, just hustling. And I mean, I guess first and foremost, before anything above all that, and you know how it is, like I'm a dad to my boys. Like I have one son, he's 14. He plays hockey up at Okanagan Hockey Academy in Canada. So he lives up there. He's one, if you go to Cutright's mobile page, that kid is a killer, man. He is, he's a killer. Like he's, I mean, he's a better archery shot he's a better rifle shot at 14 years old than i am you know in my late 40s like he's he has that you know that mindset and i know you know the 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 class to not teach target panic and the name just slipped me who's the guy that does that you know the art. The I should I should Joel have asked Turner. You because Joel yeah, Turner. Joel Turner. As soon as you said it, it was on my head, and then you asked me, and I was no, like, was da, 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 da. he says, stay in that moment, have a controlled shot process, etc. And I understand all that. So I asked Luke, like, because he's, I mean, he is deadly with a rifle, like one shot exactly where he wants it. It could be the worst conditions, shit going on all around. So he killed a deer last year, and I said, dude. How in the hell did you do that? Like I was trying to talk you through and stuff. And he said, dad, when I get down and rifle or shoulder that rifle and get that deer in the scope, he said, I can't hear anything. It goes completely silent. I'm waiting for the correct time. And I, I like, I just don't have that. Like I still hear shit and stuff. He's like every, like I literally, he's like, he had no idea I was even talking to him and trying to coach him through. He said, I didn't hear anything. I just went, I was just, in the moment, Heck yeah. like I knew what I had to do, and it's his archery shots the same way. And he just picked that up last year. We went to the 3D range when he was home over Christmas break from his hockey team, and he shot a better score on the goddamn 3D archery range than I did in his first year. I'm like, this is not okay. And it, like, he just he's a kid. That's where we, like, but that's where we want him, right? I mean, that is oh god, absolutely. right? As as a dad, that's you know, I hate saying that to a point, right? Those proud moments. And it has nothing to do with the machismo of it, right? But it's, you are exceeding what I can do. That's what we want as we're bringing them up, right? I want you to exceed me in every way, shape, and form. So when you see it happening, you're like, that's my boy. (laughs) Dude, it's so awesome. And then I have an eight-year-old. He turns nine soon. And he's the kid, when you were talking about those farmer carries with 40-pound dumbbells around the neighborhood, He's eight years old and I'm doing a workout and dragging a sled and farmer carrying. He grabs the eight pound dumbbells, takes his shirt off, puts on shorts. And he's walking around with me like he is. And he's a hell of a hunter too. He hasn't pulled the trigger, but he's gone on a lot of trips. I mean, I said a lot of dads, like this is a good topic at some point, like taking kids hunting. I have some buddies that I promised my son I would never hunt without him. 
And I said, well, that's a promise I would break. Like I have hunts that I specify for my children. Right. Like, and now I am all in for you. This is not about me. This is a hundred percent about you. But there's also, my kids also know like, okay, daddy's going hunting. Right. Don't call, don't text, don't do anything because dad's doing his time. Like I wouldn't be able to balance me trying to hunt and being there for them trying to hunt. Yeah, that there, would be there's a level of pressure that goes along yes. with having a tag in your pocket, a tag in their pocket. And there's a, yeah. a bit of selfishness that is going to rear its head at mm-hmm. some point. So, so me and my son have a 10-minute rule. Right. If we're, you know, if we both have tags, it's 10 minutes. Right. If if something goes wrong, you can say anything for 10 minutes. And after that 10 minutes, it's gone. It's done. We forget about it. Oh, man, I got (laughs) I got it. So my son, I mean, you want to talk about two silverback gorillas and I'm not going to tell the whole story on on public podcast. But you want to talk about because people will be like, you did what? But like. I'm a silverback gorilla and he's a silverback gorilla. And he's at 14, he's about 5'10, 160 pounds, plays really high level hockey up in Canada. We we get into wrestling matches at times. I mean, he hip throws me like a Greco wrestler, and I'm 210 pounds, and I'm a pretty big guy. And like it's happened a few times now. And we have a new level of respect for each other that like when he's like you get, you do you, I'll do me. Like we don't clash heads anymore because we both know that it would be a, quite the bad right. if we clashed heads. But you just got to show them how old man will sucker punch the hell out of you. <laughs> well, there's, there's, there's a thing called, I mean, there's, there's other terms for certain strength that's out there. I do call it old man strength. Yeah. Like when I get really mad and he sees it in my eyes, he'll, he'll acquiesce and kind of be like, like, Again, that 10-minute rule, like, he'll look at me and he'll just be like, fuck you, dad. And I'll be like, <laughs> you, Luke. And then we turn and walk separate ways. And But you're right, that 10-minute rule, yeah. say whatever you want. Don't touch me, right. but say whatever you want. Like, throw your little fit, but then calm down and let's keep going. Yeah, just keep it moving after that, right? It's done. It's yep. off your chest. And yep. It's a good Absolutely. deal. Absolutely. And, and he, Absolutely. my boy has... He's got to use that and I've got to use it on a hunt. And yep. it's it's fun. It, if you if you have the understanding and you know that the person is acting out of that momentary disappointment, yep. anger, yep. or whatever, then 20 minutes later you're laughing about it. Oh, but that's what I was gonna say. Yeah. It's so funny. You get to laugh about <laughs> as you're walking around looking for the next group of animals. Like it'll get brought up in a sly yeah. conversation and you'll just kind of look and start laughing. Those are the moments we don't have when we're hunting by ourselves. Right. Like if I mess up a set or whatever by myself, I've done it so many times and I just take it on a chin. I'm like, yeah, oh, well, and move on to the next one. I don't have anybody to text or call. So it's kind of cool when we have that, our kid there, because mm-hmm. it's the best person to make fun of you besides your son. Oh, man. it's like, hilarious. If you, like, it, and you laugh so hard and then the drive, couple hour drive back, like you're sharing the memories. And I mean- we do the same thing even when we're eating the animals, right? Like Luke will bring up the stories and I'll bring up the stories. And my wife's like, I don't want to hear these stories. I'm like, oh, okay, that's fine. Yeah, dad was so. a dick when he missed this deer on the first shot. <laughs> that's exactly. You should have heard dad yeah. said, I don't even know what some of those words mean. <laughs> yeah, it's all it's all good. But man, there's no replacing, there's no replacing those memories. And then, you know, through what we love to do, right? That outdoor experience, we've already given them the perspective of that circle of life and increased that awareness and respect for. So then to see them come into their own and 
that that man that rears its head out of the 13 or 14 year old is something to Mm -hmm. be reckoned with. And, And again, you can see those things coming out and you're like, yeah, this is this is what it's about right here. It, it man, it's unbelievable. It unbelievable. is. It's such a cool feeling, man. Yeah. It is. It's it it really not to like sound sap or anything, but man, talk about filling the cup, right? Mm-hmm. Filling the emotional Absolutely. cup. It's really awesome. If that sounds sappy to anybody, I guarantee you they got like four kids floating around that they ain't paying for. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> there's there's really nothing better than that, man. I no, mean that's I that's agree with you. You know, one of the, you know, you look at our values as hunters and and some of the things that we preach and family and our kids and, you know, faith. I mean, that is what this lifestyle is about. It's not, you know, especially now. And I was actually going to bring it up because you talked about, you know, those hometown hunts in Ohio and, and yeah. thinking about that level of community. No one was going to be hungry if 10 people shot deer Absolutely. and there's 220 people. Right. You don't see that level of community in society yep. today period no, no it doesn't exist it does it not exist right so i mean maybe in some small towns right may, like towns population maybe. 50 to 100 yeah if but, you're lucky yeah. if you're yeah. lucky you'll see that level of community so as you were talking about it i'm going that's what we miss that's what society is missing are those yep. the activities that are berated with hate and despise and stop this and stop that and limit this. And it's like, for what? Look at what, look at what you're missing. Let's hear those stories, present those stories. It probably don't make a difference to them, but that is what, think about how much better, even if it's not a town of 200, if you had a town of 3,700 and 60% of that town was hunters, Think yep. about the effect on that community through that. I mean, just right. it's impeccable. You can't right. It, it transcends all the political BS. Everything yep. we deal with on a day to day, man. It's it's just when oh, you yeah. were talking about the the that early on hunting, man. That's all I could think about. I was like, that's what yeah. we're missing. It was it was a great way. I mean, <laughs> literally an awesome way. Wouldn't have chosen to grow up any right. other way. I mean, now if you shoot a buck and there's two guys around, they try and claim that buck. Mm-hmm. Woo, dudes are ready to. Shoot each other and all kind of, oh, you know, God, and poor etiquette in the mountains and everything mm-hmm. else. Hey, it's a, that's a whole, that's a whole nother can of worms. Oh man. Yeah. I was on, we were on with Jim doing a Western hunt fest episode with him a couple of weeks ago. And uh, uh-huh. he brought up the etiquette and, and ethics thing. Yep. Dude, him and, and I, like, I called him, I called him after one episode in September I had, and I'll save it for a different time, but I had a thing in September happen to me and like, I literally couldn't believe it. Like it was, I was walking out and it was so bad that when the person on the side-by-side or the people on the side-by-side came up and were coming out that forest service road, I almost slid down the side of the forest service road. Cause I was like, I don't want to see these people because I'm pretty pissed. And then I thought, okay, if I slide down the side of this forest service road, how stupid am I going to look if they stop and see me down there? So <laughs> I just kept walking and, you know, I didn't say anything, but I, people, they need to, along with getting your hunting license, the fishing game department should institute a hunting etiquette class, class as well yeah. that people should take, or at least a module on the internet that they is, So would you, would you say that that is subjective though? 
when it comes to etiquette. That's because that's where, right? It's, it's, that's very hard to broach that conversation with a lot of folks because it is so subjective. You know, what, what you and I may do, 10 other people may disagree that that is part of it, but it's, but it seems like you listen to people talk and the commonality is there and the subjectiveness is pretty much in line until it's them versus whatever the situation is. Exactly. Exactly. They're willing to do whatever they think, but when the tables are reversed, they're it's it's wrong. Yeah. So I mean, they they just don't follow that golden rule. Like yeah. they treat people however they want. And then if they get treated that same way back, they're like, Well, this is bullshit. This shouldn't mm-hmm. be this way. It's like, well, come on, yeah. pull your head out of your ass. It's, yeah, right. it's a trip, dude. I mean, like you said, that's a conversation. I'm gonna let Jim tackle that one for the next yeah, 26 he's got a, months. A, a, oh. <laughs> And you know he'll have about five guests on about. Oh, he and I had already talked about doing one. We get on and it's like hours of just. Oh God, I know. Effing. I know. I love when you guys get on and just bullshit. <laughs> it's awesome. So let's talk, man. Let's talk about Cut Right and yep. get people to the crux of the thing. So it's Cut My Cut Right Mobile on Got Game Technologies, super complete yep. app, right? And I think there yep. is a huge hole in you mm-hmm. know air quote the market for what yep. you guys are doing. So kind of walk us through that. And then I got some stuff I want to touch on. Yeah, absolutely. So the Cutray mobile app, I mean, it's, again, I'll I'll pull my own chain here and our chain as a, as a company. It, we've spent years, years being like three years developing it and getting it up to, to where it is. And it's, it's freaking awesome. So it, it, in a 30,000 foot nutshell, it takes whether you're a novice hunter or an experienced hunter, it walks through every step of field dressing an animal, the gutless method. So deer, elk, we're going to have bear on it this year. Um, deer, elk, bear. So you field dress it, get it out, shows the gutless method, shows how to grab the tenderloins, shows how to grab the heart, all the stuff that you might want, not the call fat and stuff because we didn't dive into the guts. And then... That's super valuable, but I still feel most people that go hunting in the field have some level of wherewithal on how to field dress the animal, right? They, yeah, there's going to be a lot of F-ups when you're trying to get that ball joint in the hip and people are going to nick the guts and things like that. That that truly comes with experience, knowing how to put the blade of your knife. And we, I talk about it in the videos. So the whole app is videos. And it's all categorized, like you can hit elk hindquarter and it brings up a video of exactly what to do on the hindquarter, what seems to follow, where that ball joint is and shows shaving the pelvis, getting it off, all the things. And same with backstrap, front quarter, neck, heart, tenderloin, there's a drop down menu and you hit what you want. So you don't have to watch three straight hours of video to get to the hindquarter or bookmark it. It's all logically bookmarked in chapters for you. So then you you get your animal out of the field. And the part that I think is super valuable for all hunters, even those that have butchered their own animals for years, is the butchering section. And it has that same drop-down menu. You want to find the bottom round. You hit bottom round. I walk you through on video where the bottom round is on the whole leg and then how to cut it out. You want to find like some other more bougie muscles like the gracilis muscle, or a lot of people don't even realize tri-tips exist on elk and deer. Like you want to find the tri-tip or like what I posted about yesterday with that steak or two days ago, that sirloin cap, like you want to find those things. It walks you through the entire butchering process of the hind quarter, the front quarter, 
backstrap, just cleaning it up, tenderloin, neck, heart, everything on an animal. And I'm proud of the whole thing, but I think that's where this app really, really shines. Because I feel like everyone has their preferred way to get their animal out of the field, right? Like some people like gutting it and throwing it on their four-wheeler. Some people, like, I can't imagine people would go hunting if they didn't have somewhere in their head, how the hell I'm going to get this animal out of the field. Oh, dude. Right. I, you really want to have that they, conversation? <laughs> no, I What I'm saying is I know they do. I just can't imagine doing that. You know what I mean? Right. Like you would, I mean, I live in Northern Idaho. If you're an Idaho resident, you're going to get a tag for whatever, and you're going to have a license to go shoot it. And people do that all the time. Right. But where this app really freaking shines, in my opinion, is that butchering section. I mean, trust me, I butcher, I have a mobile butchering unit. I know how much I charge for it. So I know how much other butchering people charge for it. And I'm like less or competitive with them. And I show up to the house with my butchering unit. So it has all that. And then we even took it a step further because what's the most common thing to do with freaking wild game? Like if you had to say the number one thing that all the hunters that you know, what do they make the most of burger. a wild game? They make a hundred percent. They make freaking burger. And it's just a fucking travesty. Yeah. Cause there's so, so much good, good food. Yeah. And they just, I, I only want, and I have it when I butcher for people, like I only want the backstrap steak and just grind the rest of it. And I talk them out of it. I'm like, do not do that. And I'm like, look at this, look at this app, do that. So Right now, we have 34 recipes on it. Everything from making meatballs with your ground meat to steaks to Parmesan crusted eye of round to stuffed backstrap to like, it, like, I, dude, it's so good. Like, and then to the barbacoa, like a barbacoa that we make with wild game, which is amazing. So there's 32 or 34 recipes on it now. And I'm in the process of updating the recipe list. And we're going to have update launch for the Western Hunt Expo and SLC in mid-February, where we're looking, I have 52 more recipes to put on the damn thing. So by this update, if I'm able to get them all inputted, we're going to have like 86 recipes on thing. And I'm not talking like, oh, it's a different way to make a bacon burger. Like, Jesus Christ, put whatever you want on your hamburger. But did you know you could, you know, make elk carpaccio? Did you know you could make, you know, deer tartare? Like I've, I swear to God, like I love eating raw meat, like at a nice restaurant or whatever. And so my best friend from the Marine Corps retired a couple of years ago as a Lieutenant Colonel after 23 years. And I was like, Hey, for your retirement gift, I want to take you on a deer hunt in Idaho, get the tag. And he's like, well, I don't have a hunting license. I've never hunted before. Right. I've never, I've never shot at anything with four legs. And I said, I, I respect that. I understand. Get your hunting license. And so he got it. He flew out. He shot a freaking beautiful buck. We brought it up to my house and I was like, and he, they love good food, him and his wife. And I said, Hey, let's try this. I've always wondered if this is possible and if it's doable. And so we made with the tenderloin, we made deer tartare. And I won't lie to you. Not only is it the tastiest thing I've ever made, it like, and we've traveled some nice places and ate it nice. It's the, it's the best tasting thing I've ever eaten in my entire wow. American life. And I was like, it, it'll be out on the update. And I'm still blown away. Like I look back at pictures and the videos of it. And I'm like, 
Jesus Christ, how did I come up with that one? Like that, like, like I have no idea. And so, you know, some people say like, oh, how do you come up with them? Like, well, I know what tastes good from all the restaurants we've gone to and like what I like to cook, but some things don't go good with wild game and other things do. And it's just from, it's basically from eating deer and elk my entire freaking life. Well, I think that's one of the, oh, sorry, man. I think that's one of the reasons. (laughs) Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) I was just going to say some herbs and spices don't go good on wild game. And some really do. And if you don't know that, hey, that's going to make your game not taste that good. It's not going to really highlight it. You're going to put it on because it's what you put on a moo cow. Right. That's what I was going to say. You put it on steak. But I think that's one of the reasons that folks rely on the ground because it's so easy, right? They don't, people, I I shouldn't say it like that. It's very general, broad stroke. But I don't think they can, folks think that they can experiment with their wild game, right? And that was one of the reasons I I brought up James. One of the, one of the things I think happens, wild game in your fridge is a limited resource, right? Like you only have, Excellent. I mean, if you butcher it well, six, eight inch pieces of backstrap, right? Three from each side. Yeah. Cause you get, I mean, people say like they get a backstrap that's four and a half feet long. Okay. Once you trim it up, half of that's neck. The other half is tenderness from the sirloin area. So you have like 18 to 24 inches of backstrap on each side. You cut that in six to eight inch steaks. You have six to eight backstraps. People don't want to mess up and butterfly open a backstrap and be like, God, what if it doesn't taste good stuff with like goat cheese, toasted pine nuts and wilted spinach and like, wait, it needs a steak sauce. I'll just throw a one on it. It'll yeah. taste like, anyway, like they don't know, like you take balsamic vinegar and reduce it and put a little cayenne pepper on it. And it's like this wonder glaze, or you can like reduce blackberries and blueberries. Like it's limited. Cause I've been thinking about this a lot. Like, why don't people F around more with the recipes with wild game? And I've been giving quite a bit of wild game away to my close friends and being like, Hey, I'm giving this to you, but I want you to toy around with a recipe and you have to send me pictures and let me know if it works or not. Because I want to see what, what you have in your mind mm-hmm. that you can do it. But I think most people that go out, they may or may not shoot an elk every year, right? They may or may not shoot a deer. So they have this limited quantity of wild game. And that's where having something like cut, right? Where there are proven freaking delicious recipes. And by February, there's going to be 86 recipes on it. Like take your pick, man. They're all freaking delicious. And they'll be delineated by cut. You can search cuts because every cut's different. Like I wouldn't do shit with the bottom round that I do with the top round. They're totally different cuts of meat. Right. And like people see that big football roast, that sirloin tip roast, like, Oh, this must make great steaks. Like, well, no, not so much. Not really. <laughs> not so much a good steak. But if you do it this way and let that rub sit, it like cut it. My favorite thing to do with that sirloin tip, I I gave one to a buddy and Ben. He called me this morning and said, Hey, I thawed this out. I'm gonna make it into a roast. Like I'm gonna sear it and then I'm gonna put it in the oven for 30 minutes and do that. What do you think? I said, I think you're gonna be eating shoe leather. Like you're <laughs> I think shoe leather. I hope you have a lot of gravy or whatever to put on. He's like, well, What do you think I should do? I said, cut it into one to one and a half inch cubes. Put your favorite. I mean, I work with Hunt Chef, Jeremy over there in Pennsylvania. I freaking love that dude's seasonings. Like it is, his seasonings are legit. I said, put it on it. Let it sit for 24 to 48 hours in a Ziploc bag in a fridge. And then grill them or sear them to medium rare. And they will be the best tasting steak bites you've ever had. And, you know, he's from Bend and he likes good food. And he's like, 
homeboy, I've never even had a fucking steak bite. What are you talking about? I was like, <laughs> do exactly what I tell you to do. I said, cut that roast in half because I gave him a four pound roast. I said, do two pounds with your roast or whatever the hell you want to do. Send me pictures. Let me know how it tastes. But then do the other two with the steak bites that I'm recommending and let me know how it turns out. Like, so when you, I should also add the cut right app. Guy, it's freaking dirt cheap. It's fourteen ninety nine a year, right? And it's a yearly subscription. And we do updates all the time. We take feedback from from the subscribers and like try to respond to it and make the updates that they're requesting. And I won't go into the updates that we're doing now, but it's a it's going to be pretty awesome. And then Jack, the videographer, and I are working on some new meat maps because we have these meat maps on there. And so we're working on making some legit 3D meat maps. That oh, you wow. Spin, spin around. With your finger. Like, wow. like the shit you see from like dinosaur movies where you right. can touch a dinosaur. Like we figured out or J- not we, Jack is the mastermind behind that. Figured out the programming and stuff to do that. He just needs me to get the pictures. But the Cut Right app basically takes the mistakes you might make. I've already made them. I've already had a bunch of game meat that I can't eat because I'm like, oh God, that tastes like shit. And I end up eating it because I just won't throw it away. I'll like chop it thin and throw it in a salad or whatever. Right. But like the recipes are proven. Like they're legit. They're good freaking recipes. So, so so what's the best deer recipe on there right now? The deer best deer recipe on there right now is the Parmesan crusted eye round. What about the elk? Hands down. What's that? What about what elk? about what? My favorite elk recipe would have to be the stuffed backstrap. What are you stuffing it with? Stuffing it with goat cheese, toasted pine nuts, some fresh herbs, a little bit of spinach, and then some citrus on the inside of it. If you don't like the spinach to get wilted, you can stuff it with like lacinato kale. But since I cut the fucking half of the tip of my finger off chopping kale watching my wife do yoga because I'm, I'm a stupid horny freaking, <laughs> like 16 year old in my head <laughs> so stuff it with spinach wrap it in butcher twine and throw it on the smoker so that it's like 122 degrees right at that edge where the goat cheese is and then you take a like a cup of balsamic vinegar good balsamic reduce it to half sprinkle some cayenne in it let it simmer for a couple more minutes. Drizzle that like syrup over the top. Buddy, Dude, my mouth is on water right now. <laughs> I mean, like my mouth talking about that recipe and I haven't made that one in a few months. Like my mouth is watering telling you, there you that's a good one. But the key to that one in my opinion, you can't add too much goat cheese because then it like spills out and looks goofy. You got to toast those damn pine nuts. So many people just put raw, raw nuts in there. And when you, when you toast, any like walnuts, pine nuts, whatever, it like releases those oils and stuff and really gives them a nice, nice flavor. So toast those in a little skillet prior to putting them in and then wrap it in twine. And so here's a, here's a secret, secret to uh butcher twine that I've figured out. You know how most people will start, I don't know if you've wrapped roast or whatever with butcher twine, you start at one end and you wrap it tight, next one tight, next circle tight. And by the time you get to the far end where you're trying to wrap, everything's pushed out. Things like <laughs> pushed out. Make your first wrap in the middle. So one wrap in the middle, and then one on each side of that, one on each side of this. Just work your way side out. of that. And just work your way out as opposed to starting at one side and wrapping all the way down. Cause but then it, you're going to end up with a goofy roast. Yeah. And it doesn't need to be super tight, right? Cause that's what I see no. folks do. They'll try, they'll wrench that son of a bitch down oh, like they're trying to it, secure it, the load. 
Well, then it's a pain in the ass to get out too. Yeah. Like it, it cooks into cooks your into meat it, and then yep. it's a pain in the ass and it pulls some of the crust off that you have. But yeah, that would be my top, my top elk recipe Heck smoking yeah. that. So I mean, there's a bunch of ones on there though. Yeah. Go for it. So what, in my head, when, when we're not butchering our, our game, right. We're, we're missing that full circle process, right. We're really, Correct. we're really getting away from. I don't want to say the tradition of it, but but having it be full circle by my hands type deal, right? Yes. And then, so I want you to, to talk about that. But then, what what are we missing with all these cuts when we go to the butcher? We're not seeing. You get your your butcher paper and it's labeled. You're not seeing what all these different cuts are. It's steak, 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 backstrap yep. or ground, tenderloin, yep. backstrap or ground, right? So what are we yep. missing there too when we're when we're giving it to someone to do it especially if it's a if it's a busy butcher in a small town in a small hunting community that has 300 animals by the middle of the season want to rep the outdoor lifestyle off the mountain pack them out apparel the clothing line that's more than just trophies and filling freezers at pack them out they believe in making memories that last a lifetime whether you're packing out a bull or preparing for a family adventure. A lifestyle brand that understands the importance of family, faith, and friends. Every time we head out, it's about creating cherished memories. At Pack Em Out Apparel, the brand stands for honor, integrity, and a genuine passion for the wild. Check them out at packemout.com. I can, I won't wax too much on like, having your own animal, making sure your butcher grinds your animal and you're getting your meat back. But you hit it on the head. That's exactly what you're missing when you don't do your own animal. You get steak, like, for example, a lot of the butchers in Northern Idaho, and I will not speak to all of them. I do not know all of them. So that's like a disclaimer on that. But if you want 18 pounds of steak, you're getting 18 pounds of steak and it's labeled steak, just like you pointed. Right. I can make steak out of any effing cut on the animal. Don't mean it's a good steak. It doesn't mean that it's going to be a good steak. It's going to taste like shit. It's going to be like leather, right? There's only a handful of cuts that I would even consider cooking as a steak. But if you want 18 pounds of steak and the butcher knows you're paying for 18 pounds of steak, you're going to get 18 pounds of steak, right? Now, a good butcher would say like, hey, this is this is only like a 95-pound dough. Like, you're not going to get 18 pounds of steak, at least any that's worthwhile. But the consumer, the the hunter should really know if they're dealing with a bottom round, a sirloin tip, an eye of round, because all of those cuts of meat cook differently, right? And this is probably where a lot of people like, oh, fuck, I don't know what they are. Just grind them all. Have they ever really taken the time to butcher an animal out? I mean, I have some really good friends down in Lewiston and I remember butchering animals with them the first time. I was like, well, we should do this. We should do that. And he's like, no, nah, just grind it all. You just want to keep the back strap. And it's like, this was, you know, 14 years ago. I'm like, okay, like, we'll just grind it all. And I was like, the hell do I need 250 pounds of ground meat? Yeah, that- I mean, we eat it, but like, what the hell do I need that for? Yeah. And then, you know, so I teach anatomy and physiology and I really dove into it. I'm like, well, I know those cuts. It's not hard to cut them out. Like, I know what they taste like on a deer from growing up. We'll see what they taste like on elk and bear and stuff like that. So when you take your meat to a butcher, 
you truly lose that ability unless you have a very qualified high end butcher that like, like James or mm-hmm. or myself up here, like that's willing to write on the butcher paper, bottom round, top round, et cetera. Because when you get like, okay, I want 10 pounds of steak and five roasts. It's like you just said, guy, it's labeled roast. I mean, again, and we just had that conversation about the sirloin. I sure as shit would cook a sirloin roast a lot different then I would cook a neck roast or a front blade roast or anything else. So you lose that ability to actually make decisions about which food you're going to eat. And right? your, it, sorry, <laughs> your butcher has to value the table fare as much as yes. they value the volume of right. clientele. Right. I mean, that absolutely that is part of it, too. And I have Absolutely. an excellent butcher that I use, but that's just I was going to say, there's a couple, I, I, I mean, up here, I know a really good butcher and you're looking right at him because I do the same thing. Like I, I value that more than anything. And I also know down in Boise, there's a couple butchers down in Boise that make sure you get your animal that know what you want to cook. Like I ask my clients and this is the thing, like if you're taking it to a butcher and you don't have a communication with your butcher, like hey, I really like to make asabucos. I really like to make barbacoas. I really like to make these kind of things. Can you maximize some cuts for those? So your butcher needs to have their head out of their ass and know how to cook as well. Because Mm -hmm. if you say those things and your butcher has never heard of asabuco except at a nice restaurant, he's not going to know that the front shank's better than the back shank for that because the back shank has that big quad muscle. Or if you like want to do... You know, like a barbacoa, they're not going to know that like these certain cuts, like the neck roast and a, like part of the the tri-tip are really best for barbacoa that way because they don't know how to make barbacoa. So finding a butcher that knows table fare is really important or that is able to communicate with you. And I know, you know, I work with a couple butchers over in Spokane, like they're really good with that. Like, and they send me a lot of business and I send them a lot of business as well, but to the first question, what do people lose by not doing it themselves? I I just couldn't Im- imagine myself with an animal that I started this effing pack out challenge to get in shape <laughs> for, to go drink beer on the mountain with good buddies, to shoot a freaking animal, to go through the pain and the suffering of packing that animal out of a hellhole, getting it home. And then fully trusting somebody else that I drop it off, they hang it for me for a week or two in their walk-in fridge, and then let them cut it for me. After I worked my freaking tail off, like everything from, I mean, we won't even get into the cost of bows and guns and how much ammo you put down range and how much time you spent. And now you have that prized possession in front of you. And you hand it off. And you you toss it off to a butcher that, I mean, trust me, I I see myself when I pull up to some client's house. I mean, I'm wearing overalls covered in blood. Like I look like hell. I'm thinking to myself, like if I didn't form a rapport with my clients, like they'd be like, get the fuck out of my driveway, (laughs) right? Like I couldn't imagine not doing it myself or having somebody that I really, really trust that I know. I mean, plus, like you mentioned, those mass quantity butchers, man, it's so important. Like, I'll be honest, like I like to kill small animals. Like if there's a, if it's a cow tag and there's a herd of elk, I'm killing the youngest cow out of that group because I know that youngest cow has the best table fare, but I sure as hell want that youngest cow back in my freezer. Mm -hmm. I don't want a part of somebody's 11 year old cow 
in my grind because that grind isn't going to be anywhere near as good. I mean, I'm, I'm thawing meat out tonight. Like I'm actually thawing a young deer and an old deer pack of ground meat out to make burgers. And I'm going to make them separate tonight to be able to post side something on side. Instagram. Yeah. yeah. Because the young deer tastes better. So if you target your animal, right, if you're a meat hunter, if your trophy is, you know, Jim likes to say, and I agree with him, like my trophy's in the freezer. Like if your trophy's in the freezer instead of on the wall, like you want to kill the tastiest freaking animal. And I'll tell you, that's not the lead cow, right? That's that cow right. at the end, the smallest cow. That's the darkest color. That is the youngest cow. That's the tastiest one. And you should be damn proud that you had the patience and the hunting perseverance to wait for that cow. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to eat somebody else's, right? And it's just all, it's keeping it in your own hands. I mean, how many people during COVID, like I started hunting because, you know, I wanted to be able to do it all myself and and live off the, the, the bullshit, live off the land quote that a lot of people say, like, I just wanted to be self-sufficient stuff. Like I applaud that self-sufficiency. Are you being self-sufficient when you drop it off, you know, Fred's butcher shop with, you know, 32 other elk that are hanging there? Like, you don't know anything. You don't know the process. You don't know what's that. And you just don't know the animal then. I mean, and quite honestly, by butchering it yourself too, you get to know where acceptable shot might be, right? Like, I mean, there's always, there's the ideal shot, there's kill shots. And then there's what I call acceptable shots that still kill the animal. Like I know where like I would never shoot an animal because like that's going to hit this cut of meat or whatever else. I mean, I think Aaron Snyder and I forget the guy did, did a podcast about all of the shots on an animal that would result in the animal dying and how long it would take that animal to die. And they, they said like, you know, a stomach shot is probably the worst shot on an animal right? Because the stomach shot will not kill the animal for days. Liver shots, they're, they're not ideal, but they'll kill an animal. And they came out like with, but if you do an intestine shot or a gut shot, and I might be totally bastardizing this, but I remember this part, like if you shoot it in the actual intestines, there's so much bacteria and septic and everything in there, like that animal's dead in a few hours. And yeah, it's like, there's guts all over the inside of it. So there's, there's different areas that you can acceptably kill an animal. But if you know where those cuts of meat are, I guarantee you're not going to take some of those effing shots. Yeah. And right? you're I not going to take a subpar shot. I, and I think it lends itself to your in field care and processing, right? Because we, we always talk about, you know, and that's, you know, oh, well, let's quarter it out, right? But what, what mm-hmm. does that really mean? And then what does your waste look like in that process? That's one of the things that drives me crazy. I'll be walking through the woods and I'll walk upon a carcass and I'm like, holy hell. Look at all the meat that they left on the bone. And then you look at Uh the, you look at the brutal knife strokes and right. And it's just like, damn, just a little more time and care to, and attention to detail in those, in that process. And I think that comes from separating those cuts on the counter, Mm -hmm. understanding how to use your knife. Maybe it's not the same knife in the field. But yep. you're getting all this experience on the countertop, no pressure, right? Yep. And you're learning yep. it all, right? I mean, it, there's so much that could be taken from it. And and I'm not saying that I don't take to the butcher. I take to the butcher, but I'll vet my butcher out the best I can. I will not let, I will only let one hunting partner, and that's Luke, my son, deal with the hindquarter of an animal. 
because I value some of the cuts on that hind quarter so much. Like if you give somebody a knife that doesn't know how to field dress an animal, that they don't have the cut right app. So they don't know where, where that sirloin cap is. I mean, that is it's hands gone. down. That's my favorite fucking cut on the hind quarter of an animal is the sirloin cap. I mean, it, I would put it up against the backstrap in terms of state quality. Like absolutely. But if they don't know where it is or whatnot, it's left on the pelvis and then they cut it off in 37 chunks and throw it throw in, in the, the loose scrap. meat bag. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh my God, you just use like that thing's like six pounds and you just like, I can't use it now. So I think butchering it yourself. I love that what you said. And it brought me back to a client that I butchered for this year. He came back from British Columbia with, with two big bull moose. And he called me and said, Hey, do you take it on the bone? I said, oh, fuck, I don't care where I'm like, I'll dispose of it. Like I'm not a meat shop. Like I'm a mobile, I'll come to you. And so there was two full bull, bull moose and the back straps and the neck and everything. So huge. A lot of That's meat. That's a lot of meat. I got to him on Thursday after work. So about six o'clock and I just butchered him for 24 straight hours. I was done Friday at six o'clock. And was giving him his meat. And he said, there's only like 500 pounds of meat here. And I, he's, I was like, yeah. And he said, the guide in British Columbia told me there'd be about 700 pounds of meat. And I said, did the guide in British Columbia use a butter knife to take Cut meat off of the, the animal for you? <laughs> and he said, oh, well, he only had one of those Havilons and he forgot his replaceable blade. So his blade got pretty dull. And I said, here's 140 pounds of trim that I pulled off of that animal. It's dirty. It's full of grass. It's full of dirt. I said, I took pictures of it. I was like, I, you'd be be like, I was joking. I was like, I don't know if your guide will take offense to it, but tell him to download my app because it actually shows him how to do it the right way. So that's, that's the, to your point, exactly. If you butcher it yourself, you're going to take a lot better care of that animal in the field. You know what you're going to lose. Oh, it drives me insane. What's your opinion? So you you brought it up. RBK or fixed blade? I love fixed blade. Yeah, but I love thank you. fixed blade, man. <laughs> I it now now I have replaceable blades. I I always have a Havilon or Outdoor Edge with a couple extra blades. They weigh nothing. They're cheap as shit. I just put them in there as a backup mm-hmm. just just in case. But Dude, I am I am fixed blade to thank you. I, I just I haven't touched a replaceable blade. It's always there. I haven't touched one in eight years. And the knife I use now, like you know, I love it. I, I use a shank knife, it's heavy in my hand. You know, people are like, Well, I need a lighter knife. Like, you can get as light a knife as you fucking want. I want one that fits my big gorilla mitt. I want one that I know I'm holding it. I also want the etching for my thumb at the base of it because I put my thumb on top of that blade above the handle. So I want that jibbing there to keep my finger in place. And I want it to be so sharp when I start that I don't have to touch it up for an entire animal. Right. So, and that's, it's really important to me. I like a thicker blade knife. I mean, I've, through doing what we do, I've ran through... And have tried everything from those like super thin carbon knives and everything else. It feels like a, a kid's toy in my hand and it's slippery. And I finally found one I love. And I I will say I did three elk 
and three deer with it this year. And it wasn't until after the second elk that I had to finally touch that knife up on the work sharp sharpener. And it wasn't until the end of hunting season, I took it to the guy that I have sharpened knives for me. And he, he was like, this knife's in really good shape. Like the blade wasn't bent in any way, shape or form. And I, I loved it. Yeah. I love it. So fixed blade all the way. And I like it to be heavy in my hand. Yeah. I'm the same. I, I've tried the, the RBK route a couple times and one, you know, you're, you don't even have to be back country, dude. You're a mile off the road and one slip of that thing done dude done i mean done. they are that sharp and and honestly yeah. i didn't find the blades to last that long no they don't last that long and then what's the biggest bitch about those things is replacing the blade when you're in the field yeah they give you that little bullshit plastic yeah. like blade thing like one that never works so you're carrying the rbk but what else do you have to carry or at least pull out with your kill kit in order to get that blade off is your freaking leatherman like, I don't like pulling my Leatherman out of my pack. It's there for emergencies. Yeah. No, I don't. And then for me, it was always a problem. Like, well, I took that blade off and now I, I'm not leaving it in the field. So I have to have this blade and I have to take this freaking blade out. And no, bullshit. Yeah. Like, they I drive me nuts, nope. bro. <laughs> they drive me they've, nuts they've, they've become so popular and, and for good reason, right? A lot of folks use yeah. them with, with great success. And maybe, maybe it's an age thing. Right. The fixed blade yes. is what we're used to because it's been so many years, but it just seems like the one, the risk reward and the like you're talking about replacing that blade and it's full of fat and grease and blood. And I'm like, nah, man, this is not this is not the gig. And I've even nope. last time we were in Texas, I pulled pulled it out and I'm like, OK, we threw it in the in the UTV. It's hanging. And I still mm -hmm. was like, I would rather my fixed blade. I would absolutely 100%. prefer to get my fixed blade out over this damn thing. I just, you know, it's it's not a machismo thing or whatever, but God damn it. I want to know I have a knife in my hand. Mm -hmm. Like, I really want to know I have a freaking knife in my hand. And I want to know that that knife, it's just like anything. The more moving parts, the more chance of failure. Yeah, absolutely. I use a fixed blade knife that the steel runs the entire length of the handle and it's wrapped around. I know that thing is not going to break. I know I can get in there. And if I did a really poor job in the field, I can yard on that thing and joints and move things and cut ribs off if I need to. And it's not going to break. Yeah. Tell me you're going to do that with a Havilon. Tell hey, me you're going to no. put Havilon at the spine rib joint and move it like that. That blade is going to snap, snap like that. Well, you're going to be screwed. There's, there's another risk right there, right? And I won't go yeah. into the whole field safety thing with it. But I, I have an old... I don't know how old that that case knife. It's a it's an old fixed blade case, and that freaking yep. blade's got to be got to be seven inches and has a mean oh. old curve on it. And I yeah, I like that's what I was just gonna say. I like the curves too. I don't like oh dude, what is it? Montana Knife Company makes that Speed Goat that's like a shorter blade and like there's no real curve to it. It's real short, short and an extremely pointy mm -hmm. tip on it. I don't like those ones either. I like a knife that I like a pointy tip, obviously, on the knife, but, but I want really, a nice bow yeah. in the knife. I want a deep curve on it. Like yeah. that's just it's my preference. And I've I've stuck with it now. And I'm really happy yeah, with the I, fixed plate knives. Yeah, wait. Yeah, definitely my preference. I won't go any further than that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, for sure. so you were talking about the loose meat, right? And that's one thing, you know, when I'm I'm butchering, and sometimes it means slowing down. 
do you have a, you know, if we're out in the field, we're dressing, do you have a plus or minus? And I know this is a rough question, right? So okay. maybe go plus or minus elk and deer. What's the okay. plus or minus percentage, we'll say, or weight of loose meat you should actually be seeing in the field if you were butchering correctly? So the amount that should be in the loose meat bag? Yes, sir. And are we considering neck roast loose meat? I don't. I love neck roast. <laughs> okay, good. So we're covering that. I don't. Consider. So by loose meat, if we're not counting neck roast in that, on a mature bull elk, and I've scraped them clean, I don't pull the flanks off of the hide because they're paper thin and it's just not worth it to me. I would throw the brisket into that loose meat pile if you're doing it that way. And if you are gutting the animal, I would say 15 to 17 pounds plus or minus and, and, on elk. And you, you'll you see loose meat bags that are upwards of 30 pounds if if they skin the bone clean. Who the f- I've seen well, they, huge loose meat bags. Do how are the quarters then? Are the quarters only weighing forty five no, pounds? They're, they're, I think it's too much loose meat. Well, they're because they're butchering the shit out of the quarters because there's no real time spent in learning those cuts. Uh, okay, so when the, instead <laughs> of scraping the pelvis and keeping that meat actually on intact, the quarter, yeah. there's an inch of meat exactly. on that pelvis still, and they're and they're scraping okay, all that off, and, and you're just taking that across the whole animal, you know, and it's so, just like woof. I will say the most loose meat I ever got off of a big bull, and this is me doing it, not one of my butchering clients or anything else, would be I would maybe 17 pounds. And that's when I gutted the animal. It was a good-sized bull. I took every ounce of rib meat. I actually went through the vertebrae and pulled it out. I went through the neck after I removed the neck rows because we had time. It was cold. And I was literally picking every piece out. Now, the next question, though, the follow-up to that begets, what are you going to do with it? Right. Like, grind it. It, like we grind it. You're, you're going to grind it. But as a butcher and as having run through several grinders and I'm still yet to find my perfect or favorite grinder to do things. And I've tried a bunch. I do like the one and a half horsepower grinders, but to find my favorite, have you looked at rib meat? Have you actually looked at it? Like if people want, or if you want in your freezer clean, grind so you don't have silver skin or fat or whatever in there you ever actually looked at a piece of rib meat between the ribs good fucking luck trying to get any meat out of that once you get rid of the silver skin the fat and everything else so you have you know a 20 inch long piece of meat that's about an inch and a half wide and maybe three quarters of an inch thick and it's actually a layer of meat a layer of fat and tissue and then another layer of meat under it so if you take your your sharp butchery knife like your victorinox or whatever that's sharpened and you flay that top piece of meat off okay you have that top piece of meat but now you have silver skin on top of it now i have my own opinions on how to deal with that so now you have this paper thin piece of meat and if you try to take that silver skin off the top you're throwing that in the trash because you're annoyed and so now you have a half an inch piece of meat with which three quarters of that is fat and tendons and tissue. So you scrape that off. You're left with maybe, maybe, maybe a quarter centimeter thick piece of meat that you trim the edges and the top off. The actual grind, if you want it clean out of that 17 pounds, in my guess, is 
50% of that. You think it's 50? 50%. I would have said If you're damn good. So here's why people get pissed at me. I don't care. That's totally fine. I don't even bother with the rib meat on, on elk when I do gutless method because it, if I need to fill my, cause the, it's lesser quality meat. I will grind the trim when I pull the trim off and like I cut the butt ends to square up the roast and stuff like that. Now we'll end up with like 30 or 40 pounds of trim mm-hmm. from an elk. I don't mess with the rib and rib meat unless I have a specific thing in mind that I'm going to do with it. And I don't do that because I like clean ground meat. Now you look on the Facebook, all the forms, I'll just throw it in the grinder. It eats it. It does it. It does. It does that. Like it, it does do that. And you eat it. <laughs> I promise you the first time your wife who doesn't hunt and only barely tolerates the wild game gets a hard piece of tendon or silver skin in her burger. That's going to be the last goddamn time you do yeah. that. Yeah. And so I, I tend not to. Now I do do with deer. I do some fancy things. Like I take that flank that's over top of the ribs, that sheet meat sheet. Mm-hmm. And it requires, you have to know what you are doing to get that. And we don't have it on the app this year yet, but after this deer season, we will. So it, you need to skin the animal in a certain way. So all that flank meat stays on the ribs. And then you take your knife and it's best to gut the animal because you're going to take your knife and you're going to trim, and then you're even going to pull that top. Remember I said the ribs have two layers of meat. You're going to pull that top layer of meat off, and you're basically going to get this big meat sheet. And it's going to be legitimately 30 inches long by maybe 20 inches high. And so there's recipes out there, and we'll have it coming out of the app called with the update called Ruladon. So you put like peppers and sauerkraut and pickles and everything, and you roll it up and you tie it and you bake it. And the idea is that the fat, and the tendons and stuff that you left in that melt in and it cooks it. It's more of a Polish Hungarian style dish. So it's not for every palate whatsoever that, and you have to be aware that you're eating deer fat. And we all know deer and elk fat has a very different texture and flavor to it than other animals fat. So I would say if you're not planning to do that dish, I really don't bother with it. I mean, I, but I've also hunted with people that when I say, Hey, take that neck roast. And they're like, what are you a butcher? And it's funny. I'm like, yeah, I am. It's <laughs> like, that's the best part I of the love animal. Neck like, roast, dude. Oh I do God. too. And I, I will tell you if I am close enough, if that animal dies close enough to the car, I so close enough to the car being a easy two mile hike out. All right. So it could be one mile of hell and then a mile of flat, right. Whether it be an elk or deer. So two miles is my limit. I'll skin it all the way down. I'll remove the quarters, take the back straps, the tenderloins. I I love the heart. I've toyed around with liver. People, you could take the liver if you want. I'm not (laughs) touching that goddamn thing. You can soak it in buttermilk, Clorox, whatever the hell you want. It still tastes like a goddamn smelly liver to me. I don't like liver. I love, I love beef liver. Me too. Yeah. Wild game liver is not in, at least in my head at this point, it, it, my dog enjoys it. (laughs) <laughs> I can't get over the smell. Yeah. Like when I even it's get one out cleanly and drain the blood and everything and I cut it, I'm like, God, it smells like shit. Like it literally smells like fecal matter. But what I'll do if I'm within two miles of the animal and the temperatures are right, everything needs to line up. I'll peel that hide away from the neck. And like, if it's, let's say it's a cow elk, I always, so there's certain things I always have in my car, right? You have an electric chainsaw. Just in case, like a, and it's just, I carry electric because it's smaller. It's like a damn 
kid's toy mm-hmm. in case there's a brand, like a log down on the road or whatever I need to remove. I always carry my sawzall. It is 100% always in my truck during hunting season, because if I kill an animal, I started to get into the bone and neck roast. Good God. Mm. As soon as you, as soon as you get into the bone and neck roast, you're, you're going to be tempted to throw the freaking sawzall in your backpack and carry around a 10 pound <laughs> sawzall. That's how good the bone and neck roast is. And it's, they are legit. So on a young cow, a three-year-old cow, that bone and neck roast is going to be about 33 pounds. So that's a lot of oh, weight to yeah. carry out. So it's the last thing I get. Once I get all the other meat, I'm like, oh, let's go back. Let's sprint down here. The weather's good. Like we're getting that neck. So, and it, I usually end up leaving the ivories in the animal at that point. That way I can't say, yeah, I don't really feel like hiking another four miles today to get just 30 pounds of neck roast, but I'll hike 30, that additional four miles to get the ivories. And then I'm like, well, shit, well, I'm down here. I'll just take the neck take roast the neck too. So I make sure that I do it. But if you can get that bone in neck roast. So, so yeah, I would say to answer that question on an elk, on a deer, depends upon the size of the deer. I mean, there's some big farm bucks, right? There's big, I mean, there's guys up here that kill huge mountain whitetails. I would say if you butcher it, field dress it well, you're looking at nine pounds, eight to nine pounds. The animals I kill, like the small doe that that I'll draw for a tag every year in, in Idaho because it's a doe depredation tag and I'll kill a small doe. I mean, four and a half pounds, like not enough that you would even know it's in the bottom right. of the bag. Right. That, and that honestly. was kind of my point. That's a hard question to answer, right? Because there's so many variables. But there is. It, there shouldn't be 25 pounds of loose meat coming off an average buck. If there's 25 pounds of loose meat coming off a buck or 40 pounds of loose meat coming off of an elk, you did it wrong. Yeah. There's no way around that, especially if you don't consider the neck loose meat. And I mean, with that being said, when you take the front quarter off guide, you just go right up that scapula and do it super fast. Or do you kind of make that cut all the way down around the ribs? So you get like the lat muscle. Yeah, I'll get and that, all that, all that lat in there too. Yeah. That's so the, I, all of that, I mean, I guess if you don't do the front quarter that way, it could up your loose meat value by eight to 10 pounds. But I always put that on the front quarter, mm-hmm. right? I, when I'm, when my front quarter comes off, That's you can see ribs. Yep. Yeah. You can see ribs when I pull the front quarter off and some people don't. Right. Yeah. And I hate to say it, right. I think some of that, some of that is laziness. Some of that is oh, yeah. not understanding oh, yeah. what you're doing out there. But yeah, I won't go down that, go down that <laughs> path. We'll just let people take the conversation and, and go from where they will take it yeah. where they will from there. Yeah. So I, I'd like you to talk a little bit about infield care, right? So, you know, you get in a situation mm-hmm. where it's, you know, call it early September, you know, just your mm-hmm. warmer months, 70, 80 degrees out on the mountain, you're four miles mm-hmm. back, you're by yourself. You have some decisions to make, right? Yes. In terms of really taking that animal. And I, we don't hear a lot about the waste, but then you get out in the field and you'll, you know, you'll see a nasty ass quarter or you'll see a camp and the guys have the meat hanging up and there's a billion goddamn flies and hornets and whatnot around all over the meat. And it's just like, Mm -hmm. what is so difficult about that? Right. And it kind of goes back to the entire process, owning it, you know, all that preparation, all that time, all that money, and really maximizing the benefit Mm -hmm. of that resource. Yes. Yes. So 
I think it falls on the responsibility of the hunter to know the temperature of the day, of the hour, how long that it's going to take them. Clearly, someone on their first elk hunt is going to grossly underestimate how much time it takes them to field dress an elk. Right. Like there's no way around that. I also think that responsibility falls on the shot. I mean, if you mistake the ass of the elk for the head of the elk and shoot it through the guts and you can't find that elk for four hours and that elk's been laying dead on the ground for three hours, you're going to have very little meat on the side that's facing the earth on that hind quarter left. It's going to bone rot, right? So you you take all the factors into play that of a ethical quick kill, right? If you make an ethical quick kill and you see the animal fall and you know where it is, the biggest advice I would have is to just fucking relax and get to work. Take your trophy pictures, do that, right? Like I know Dan will set up his camera and video himself, like butchering the animals. And like, if you're part of the born and raised crew, you have a videographer with you and stuff like that. But like average Joe's like me and you and stuff out in the field, like we're guys that have done it before. <sighs> Fucking relax. We get her done. Eat, eat a quick bit of food so you don't have to stop halfway through and get the animal done. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people will, will kind of, they'll skin the animal down. They'll take too much time where time doesn't need to be taken. Like, Oh, I'm really bad at trying to get, I mean, I'm, I've seen so many people fuck around with the lower part of the hind quarter and the front quarter, trying to get that joint off at the elbow and the mm -hmm. knee to throw them away. Jesus Christ. Like, who the fuck cares? Like, carry it out with the hoof on it. Yeah, yeah like, we're going to make fun of you on Instagram and to your face at shows and stuff like that. But you know what? Your response is like, hey, I didn't lose any meat. Like, mm -hmm. eat shit, right? Like, who cares about that? It's an extra, like, four pounds, like, per half of an animal. So I think that the key is to relax. Make sure that you have some food in your stomach because you know how it is. Sometimes, like, you're running on that adrenaline. You get that sugar crash. So in my kill kit, I always have some sort of emergency food thing. In fact, I always put two Rice Krispie treats in there because that's that quick sugar burst. Like I know the gummy bear craze is like big time in the hunting community. I fucking hate gummy bears. Like I <laughs> Swedish fish, bro. Them. You got to have Swedish fish. Yeah, you dude, Swedish fish <laughs> or Sour Patch Kids. Yeah. Like, give me that. Yeah. Like, I don't want the gummy bears. Give me a, a, a chow Rice Krispie treat. I take a drink of water and then I just fucking get to work. Yeah. And is doing it so much you become old hat at it so a lot of people like the new hunters out there the people like well shit it must be nice to kill elk every year like yeah it is i'm not gonna lie to you but i've also put in my time so i know where they're at how to do it like there's a lot of things that go into the whole thing that's not the point of this conversation is it better to make sure that you pull the hide off cleanly you don't touch the meat pulling the hide off. You don't let your knife go too far into that bottom round and top round or eye of round when you're coming up the backside. Is it better to do that? Making sure it's nice and clean, but you know, you're probably going to sacrifice a few pounds of meat on the bottom side because it's taking you so long to do that. Or is it better just to get that F and hide off and get it done fast? I err on get the F and hide off and get it done fast. Cause if it's your first elk, I'm sorry, you're going to do a shitty job. There's there's no way around that. Like you said, you're going to have a 35-pound bag of loose meat. Mm -hmm. You're going to do, it, I shouldn't say shitty job. You're not going to do as good of a job as you will on your fourth or fifth elk. 
right? There's just that they're they're way bigger than you think they are. Oh, right. They're yeah. not a, they're not a deer hind quarter that you can put up with one hand and still <laughs> manipulate. Like, I mean, you're doing like yoga, Pilates, and every goddamn weightlifting thing you can. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've had an elk leg sitting against my head and the other one I'm standing on trying to stretch. Like it's just you get until you figure it out. Legs cramping, like, back hurting. <laughs> dude, the back hurt and then my favorite is when your hands start to cramp because you've had that knife and you're pulling like, and then your hands cramping. You're like, Oh my God. So the key in my opinion to field care is get that freaking hide off, release that heat. And people will be like, well, just gut it then. Well, no, not necessarily because the hide is still holding in a bunch of heat. Yeah. The guts are super hot. I, there's no way about that, but I'm not dealing with guts. That's not what I'm, I, I don't like gutting animals. It's like one of my least favorite ways to deal with animals. I was going to ask food. you about that. Cause I'm a, I'm a gut guy. You oh, know, fuck. It, I hate gutting animals. You, you know, and it sounds odd. It even sounds odd for me to say it. Part of it is I like the smell. When you unzip them, that smell hits oh, me. That warm. And it, yeah, I know. The, and I know it's just, the smell. And it's like, I don't know if it's like, that's the culmination moment for me of all mm -hmm. the preparation and headache. And uh -huh. you know what I mean? But man, I got to oh, yeah. have my smell, dude. I, oh, the I only, totally get that. The only animal that I don't want to smell. Well, there's two bear and a flipping pig. You keep them suckers zipped up. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I will say my problem with gutting is it, it, clearly it's clean. Like you, you punch the bung, you tie it off if you need to. I don't really tie them off for the most part. Yeah, I, I don't can pull it out that yeah. way. My problem is when I'm reaching my hand up in the thoracic cavity and I grab that esophagus and trachea and then I put my other hand up in there and cut it and pull it out. Now I am so freaking covered in blood in my hands because... I'm not a glove guy in the field. Neither I don't fuck around with nitrile gloves in the field. When I butcher my own animals, I don't do it. When I butcher other people's animals, I do, right, for health reasons. But, like, now I'm so covered with blood, and I'm wiping it in my pants, but then it, my hands get a little slippery, et cetera. So when I do the gutless method, the only time I really have to deal with blood is when I cut that femoral artery mm -hmm. down by that ball joint. And then it bleeds all over the place, and I just lift it up. And then I continue getting it off. So field care, right? There's the adage, get the animal cooled down. Well, that's great freaking advice. How do I do that? You got to work fast, but you also have to work calmly because you're working with a sharp freaking knife, right? So if you're not gutting the animal, get the hide off and get that hindquarter, do the hindquarter first, because that hindquarter sitting on top of the other hindquarter, that's adding more heat to it. So the ground's insulating it. You have your hindquarter against that ground, then you have the other one on top. So that thing's just bacon, right? It's super easy to get the front quarter off, right? I mean, a front quarter should legitimately take you like three minutes. Like we, when you pull that skin down, it's like slip, slap, done, and that thing's out. And so once I get the quarters off, I don't deal with putting them into game bags right away. So one of the things I do when I stay calm is I have big trash co contractor trash bags and I slice them open and I lay them out. So they're like eight feet of black contractor bags set there. And if I don't have those, I just find a clean log or whatever. I get it off because sometimes, I mean, a freaking elk quarter is huge. And trying to wiggle that into a game bag can take, I know it sounds stupid, but it takes precious minutes, mm -hmm. right? So I get that off. And then I immediately flip the animal and get that hide off. Because where you're going to lose meat is the side that is against the ground. You're 
most likely not going to move, lose meat on the uphill side. Like for, I mean, I'll be honest, the animal that my son killed and we do an early season cow hunt. So he killed an animal in August and it took us for fucking ever to find it. And I can do an elk by myself in the field in about 45 minutes, like from start to finish, just after you do so many, it's literally, it's just like, and the other key to that is having a sharp ass knife. Like if your knife's not sharp, good luck. Right. So smoking, just moving through it. We lost eight pounds of meat on that animal because it took about an hour and a half to find the damn thing. And in that time, that hindquarter that was laying against the ground was just baked. Steaming. Right. Yeah. So, and we lost, so the cuts that you're going to lose on those animals are the bottom round. So a lot of people confuse the bottom round and top round. Right. I, I remember body round, bottom round, like body odor, BO bottom rounds on the outside. Right. So that outside of the, the hind quarter is the bottom round, that ass muscle back there. And they'll also lose parts of that sirloin tip, that big ass football roast that's right near the bone. Cause the bone's metabolically active and it carries a bunch of heat and continues to heat the meat. So really staying calm and just getting it done. Right. And if it's your first animal, yeah, guy, we just talked about 30 pound to 40 pound loose meat bags. On my first few elk, if I were the listener, I that's an acceptable margin. Like having a 30 pound loose meat bag versus losing an entire right. hind yeah, quarter. Absolutely. I mean, give that to me right. any day of the fucking week. You know, and there's little there's little tips and tricks as well. Like I personally do not like skinning the animal right down the spine. I don't like running my knife there. So the side of the animal that's up from the ground, so that's facing up, when instead of skinning right down the spine to peel it, I do about two inches onto that side of the backstrap. So the side of the backstrap that's up, I do about two inches there. And what that does when I flip the animal, it protects the backstrap that's on the downhill side. And that's that's just something like until... You hear it on this podcast or whatever. You're, no one's going to do it because it'd be like, you always skin right down the top of the spine. Well, yeah, until you realize that some of that hide falls off and now you have an inch of your back strap that has dirt. a shitload of yeah. dust and dirt on it. So do it about two inches onto the side that you're going to cut off first, right? And make up time where you can. Like, I don't take the tenderloins out of the animal until the very end, right? Well, but you also know my opinion on tenderloins. Yeah, I was going to say. I will yeah. grind... I've, I will grind those fuckers. They, <laughs> they go into my, it's it's tenderloin, a little bit of, you know, loose meat here and there, and the heart. Yeah. Dude, best meat yeah. sticks in the world. Oh, it sounds wonderful. Oh, I, so I love, good. So for me, I love that iron flavor in the heart. And, you know, if like if you've eaten heart, you know, it has a different flavor than the rest of the meat. And like that smell that you were talking about, we always eat the heart because we kill close to home. So we're fortunate enough to be able to come home after we kill. We make either fried or sauteed heart within a day or two of killing the animal. And like, that is the culmination mm -hmm. of our hunts is eating that heart. And I love that irony flavor of heart. So yeah, I would say just stay freaking calm and get to work. Right. And that takes a little bit of mental fortitude too. Like your back's going to hurt. Oh, it's your hands going are going to hurt. hurt. <laughs> you are going to cramp. But you know what? As soon as it's all done, 
get it in the shade. Don't lay it flat on the ground if possible. Hang it up, like let some air move around it. And so I saw this when I was axis steer hunting in, in Maui this year before the fires. I was fortunate enough when a family vacation, wife gave me a couple of days to go play with with a buddy down in in Hawaii. Actually, you know Sarah Gamachi, right? I know the name. Pacific yeah. Pacific Northwest Hunter. She gave me yeah. a yes. name of one of her friends down there and is and he took me out and I've never seen this before. So we hiked the animals out. He took the meat out of the game bag. So we're in Maui and it's July. It's fucking hot, hot. right? It's like three weeks before the fires. And he took him out. He had two coolers, one filled with ice, the other empty, put half the ice in the other cooler and just put the raw meat on the coolers. And I asked him, I was like, Sean, what the fuck? Like, you do, like you're not worried about this? He's like, it's more important to get them cooled down than it is to keep them dry, isn't it? And I was like, yeah, yeah. So you, you cool them down first. And then he's like, I'm going to hang them as soon as I get back in my hanging area, but we need to cool that damn meat down. Right. So, you know, but with that guy, meat's way more resilient in the field than a lot of people think as well. I mean, we've done, Luke and I have done hunt camps and killed an animal in the morning, taken it back to camp, hung it in trees when there was a nice breeze blowing and not in the sun, it was 90 degrees. And in the shade, it was 70 degrees. We had a nice little breeze blowing and we didn't lose any meat, right? But we also did some preventative care. Like if you're going to be one of those guys that needs to sit at camp and slam beers and whiskey for three days with the boys, which I'm an advocate of, I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. Like do that. Like that's part of the experience. In my opinion, take a little bit of precaution and cut that meat down to the bone. Like don't just leave it hanging there with the sirloin tip and the rounds and everything. Like find the seam, pull it out. Yeah. You're going to get stung by a meat bee probably 12 times, but pull it out of the bag, cut it down to the bone, spread it as much as you can, and then put it back in the bag. Let that heat dissipate. Right. I, you can debone it in the field if it's too heavy to pack out and stuff like that. I don't like it. I think it affects the quality of the meat. I think it's important for the meat to spend a little bit of time on the bone to go through that rigor process and release. I also have a lot of different opinions on aging meat, whether you actually need to or not. And I, it really comes down to personal preference and how much meat you're willing to lose to gain a little bit of not even different flavor, just a concentrated flavor. Mm -hmm. So that bone out, bone in, bone out in the field thing to me, I mean, I know folks that do it. They're like, Oh, I'm not going to carry the bone weight. But then you, you watch them and it's like, dude, you lost all the structure. You just took in, in a, you know, for what it's worth, a fairly easy pack out, right. With X amount of pounds and for three or four pounds on that quarter, you lost all your structure. You just, increased your slosh and weight and moving around. That is a pain in the ass. And then to add to it, when it's off the bone, those muscles are harder to identify, right? Like a lot of, like I just said, the bottom rounds on the outside. What Where the fuck freaking is hell is the outside now? Because it's just one big glob yeah. of meat mush, right? No, I agree. I, oh. I leave it on the bone. I have not, and this, I'm sure it'll eventually change, but I haven't boned out an animal. I always feel like if I need to bone out an animal, I should have trained for canarder. Quite honestly, like that's, that's my true opinion. Like I should have, I should have spent more time with a backpack on to get my legs in better shape. I mean, it's not that much freaking weight as it, you know, and I, it's so 
I mean, we do talking about table fare too. I do fancy shit. Like I use the table saw and I'll slice the femur down in half. And when I'm roasting potatoes, if I'm making steaks, I'll have that femur sitting open in the oven and sprinkle it with some fresh herbs from the herb garden. And I have bone marrow and then I'll pull that out and put that on top of my steak. I mean, people that have never done shit like that. And I get it. Like, like, what do you bone marrow? Most people don't even eat bone marrow unless they're not like it is. It's freaking delicious. Now, one of the best you said, you said, you know, elk burger or something earlier is an elk burger. And then taking that marrow and smearing it over the top of that burger, putting slapping that onion on there, tomato and let, oh, dude, the best, best (laughs) tasting thing. I mean, it's so, yeah, that's, I will tell the listener, do not. So I've almost lost an entire hand trying to use my sawzaw to cut femurs down the center to get bone marrow. In fact, it was close enough that I had to get a new chest freezer because I put a big hole in the top of my chest freezer because I'm a dipshit, like right through the cutting board into the top of the chest freezer. It's like, I jumped back 20 feet. I'm like, holy shit, I just about lost a hand. That made me go immediately on Facebook Marketplace and buy a table saw. Like just so I can slide that that bone. femur down right. with it because it's so good. Like if, if you get the opportunity- mm. It's amazing. And you could do it easier. There's bone marrow in the shanks. Like people that don't keep their shanks whole or cut them into Asabuco pieces. So cut them into three inch pieces with the meat around it. There's bone marrow in those shanks too. And it's the exact same bone marrow that's in the femur. It tastes the same. And you can do those with a sawzall because you're basically cutting them into round, you know, chunks. chunks and then bone. Yeah. they're they're great to braise and, and do it that way. I love bone marrow. Mm. I'm freaking run down to the freezer. <laughs> I know, buddy. I tell you what, when we get together, we're going to cook up some stuff. Oh, that's for dude. sure. I'm let, mouth watering thinking about that. Stuff. <laughs> what did you What did you think about that axis deer? Because you hear, you know, oh, it's the best table fare, best venison there is, and I'm 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 almost convinced it is. I shot one mm-hmm. late last year, middle of last year, mm-hmm. middle of last year, and absolutely uh-huh. enjoyed the hell out of that thing, man. So what I'll do when, when you post this podcast going live, I'll post the front of the podcast on the cut, right. And I'll tag you and I'll tag the picture of the axis deer backstrap. When I put it up there, I had so many people private message me or DM or whatever the hell they say nowadays asking if it was salmon. It was so red. It was so defined muscle fibers. I love it. I hands down love it. Now, is it better? Again, I harvest particular animals for table fare. I am not shy to say that I have shot babies before (laughs) when the tag allowed it because babies taste great. Like, I mean, they, they really do. So would I put it next to a calf elk or a, you know, young of the year deer? It's on par with that. Mm -hmm. But the flavor to me and so were you in Hawaii or in Texas? No, we were right? in Texas. Yeah, we were in Texas. So the I, I feel like the Hawaii axis, they're munching that sugar cane, they're eating that fruit and everything. Their meat, it it had the texture was great, the lightness of it was great, the tenderness of it was great, but the flavor was something I can't really describe. It was almost like an essence of fruit to it, no gaminess whatsoever. It 
it really was a beautiful meat. Like I can't, I, it's really hard for me to describe, but you could almost taste that sugar in the meat. It was like there was a higher sugar content in the meat or something along those lines from the food they were eating. I have no idea, but I refuse to grind any of it. Yeah. Like, you know, Sean, Sean butchered it for me because we he's like, do you just want to take him back to the hotel and butcher? And we were saying it, not that we were saying it the Hyatt in like Kanapali or something. My wife had a conference down there. I'm like, I'm I'm pretty sure they would love me carrying eight axis deer quarters into my hotel and <laughs> butcher kitchen on the sink. Probably not. You do it. And he's like, well, what do you want with the scrap meat? Do you want me to grind or whatever? I'm like, nope, put it in a bag. I'm not grinding any of that. I'll put it in stews or I'll make stir fry out of it or some of that. So it is some of the tastiest, most tender venison I've ever yeah, had. It's delicious. Like I love it. It would be on par with a calf elk or a young of the year deer for sure. Yeah. That's... In terms of tenderness, in terms of flavor, blows them all out of there. And what a freaking animal to hunt too. Oh, dude. So fun. Oh my God. Why? The stories, the fucking stories. I mean, we, we were, oh my God, we're one day and Sean might listen to this, but one day we did like eight miles and we were hunting kind of the, in the lowlands between the Maui airport and the, I, I'd lose all sense of direction on an island. So the other side from the Maui airport, and it was in the lowlands there. We did eight miles, according to Onyx, five of them were army crawling because there were so many deer. There were herds of deer everywhere. The wind was blowing super strong that day, which was in our favor, huge, right? Cause they're so spooky. I mean, we got within 30, 40 yards of so many animals. And then to hear them, like their grunts and their barks and so, oh my God, the whistle. I mean, it was, I mean, the amount of ground we covered chasing these animals and the amount of like, he sent me so many videos, the amount of animals I passed up, I would go down there now. I would. I would shoot every one of those animals, <laughs> right? I, I would like, I went down there. He's like, do you want a trophy or do you want meat? And sticking true to my guns, I'm like, I want meat. I don't care about trophies. And we went out and the first day I shot two doe because you could kill as many as you want. And like, then I'm lamenting because I literally, I'll send you videos like 30, 32 inch bucks walking 20 yards from us, not knowing we're standing there. And he's like, you can shoot it if you want. I was like, well, how much is it? And he gave me the amount. And I'm like, nope, don't want to shoot that. I got full freezer now. And then then we're sitting at dinner having drinks. And I'm like, hey, Chris, can I go one more day? And can I shoot a buck? And she's like, sure, go ahead. That's totally fine. Like, we're at the pool. We're doing that. And she's like, well, how much is it? And I didn't tell her how much it was. I was just like, oh, you know, it's included. <laughs> right? and, and, and it didn't it didn't happen that day. But. I mean, we were within, and you know, like, well, you don't know in Maui, like you're crawling through these bushes and I don't remember the names of the trees, but like there's animals 15 yards from you, but you can't get a shot from them. It's so, so thick. thick. Yeah. I mean, there was one spot we were army crawling through, like, I don't know if it's bamboo or whatever. And he was leading the way and it taught me so much about hunting on how to be patient with elk hunts and deer hunts. We were on all fours. We would move one inch and wait a minute and a half. And literally do, did that for like 200 yards to get into these animals. And he's like, get on your knees. There's a tree blocking you. And he's like, there's about 150 deer in front of you. 
And I couldn't see him. I didn't have access to your vision yet. And I said, show me one. And he's like, and he showed me one and I got that got the my vision. Access yeah. vision. And I looked and I was like, oh my God, it looks like a fucking farm. Like it looked looked like if they were cows, there would be a hundred cows laying down in front. It was so, such a freaking cool experience, man. Like I will never forget that. I actually, I told my wife, I was like, every third year we have to go to Hawaii now. Like I have to kill those deer every so, every few years. So the next time you go, take take five ten minutes, get on YouTube, and yeah, put in the search Axis Doe Whistle. And there's okay. one video and it's pitch black at night and you can't see it, but it's, it's the best one there is. I called yeah. my access in. So you did. Yeah. So, so, so Ephraim shot his in the morning and, yeah. and you know, competition, right? And I'm like, man, this motherfucker can't be the only one shooting these things. And <laughs> yeah. they're, they're behind me, dude, just, just bellowing, bellowing. And I'm going, well, okay. If, if the male is going through that, the female has something. So I'm sitting there and I get on YouTube and uh, look up, you know, Axis Doe and it comes up. So I'm like, oh, Axis. So I put up my ear and I listen and I go, oh, it's on. So I call Alec and I'm like, hey, when are you coming to get me? Um, I need to go to my truck to see if I have a diaphragm in there. And he's like, what? And I go, dude, I'm going to call one of these sons of bitches in. So he comes, gets yeah. me. We call Ephraim. And I told E, I said, yeah, I got to, I think I have a diaphragm. It's got to be a diaphragm in my truck. And they're looking at me like I'm a lunatic, dude. I'm like, Yo, I'm calling one of these doing? sons of bitches in. So I get to my truck, man. I rifle all through it. I found, I found one native prototype that I was testing the year before. It was in like literally the the inside rail of the driver's seat, yeah. right? And it's stuck down in there. And I pull it out of there, clean all the dog hair and bullshit off of it. <laughs> put it in my mouth, no shit. listen to the thing. I'm like, okay, I got it. Let's go. So Alec takes me out, sets me up and here they go. You know that. Yep. Yeah. I'm like, okay, there's three of them. And, and like you said, that access deer vision, man, the way that they camouflage is unfreaking real. It's unreal. And I could hear the one moving, but I could never get eyes on them. Yeah. So I was like, all right. So I get in my little makeshift brush blind. And I'm looking around. I'm like, okay, he's over there. If I can get him to come across here or here, likely he's going to come across here. So across the way, I don't know, 100 yards, 70 to 100 yards, there's this big old tree stand of of crap. And I just, I threw the whistle out three times, pulled the diaphragm out of my mouth, and I stuck it into my uh, harness. And I turned to where I thought he was going to come out. And I go, oh, shit. I was like, oh, I mean, dude, out on a string looking exactly where I threw the call. And I'm like, this motherfucker's dead. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's so 37 yards. Dude, I was I was beside myself that it actually worked. So that you don't hear about that. Oh, dude, it was so awesome. So I'm like, it it only made sense to me when I said I was going to try it. Right. And then it I mean, within call it seven seconds of me calling. And then turning, and there he was. I was like, oh, hell yeah. 37 oh, yards, smacked him with the arrow, he drops. Uh, oh, my God. Oh, dude, it was. I would it, love to have that experience. Oh, it was so freaking cool. I'm on the phone. Ah, there's called this motherfucker. <laughs> I'm freaking awesome. out, dude. Oh, and there's such beauty. And so we actually, I, he was like, well, do you want any bit of it? And I was like, you know what? Let's save the pelt. So I'm having our buddy Shane Mowry up in. 
and Kuski mm-hmm. is gonna he's gonna rug the pelt for me or just to make it like a throw rug on the, the back because dude, how soft is their oh it's hide? crazy. It's crazy. I, I I like there's no like no deer down here, no elk, no other ungulate that I can even describe how soft that hide mm-hmm. is. And when you get one that's beautiful with all those bright white spots on it and the stripe down the oh, top dude. of the back. God, when that stripe down the back is just super dark in contrast to the rest of the body, just yes. an amazing looking animal. It's so freaking cool, dude. Beautiful. I love those animals. I yeah, love I them. I, I need to get to Maui, but we're going to go down to back down to Texas here in March and have another yep. go at them. So I'll have the I'll have the doe whistle not nailed down. <laughs> I love it. You're going to have native making an axis deer call. I oh, love dude, it. it was it's so funny. It was like the fact that it even worked was impressive, you know? Well, that's what I was just going to say. The fact you were able to put it together from hearing it, being like, I got this one. Well, it, I'm it, go, I but can it do that. only makes sense, right? Because everything else in terms of ugulates, uh, what, what yeah. you know, is talking. Then you look at turkey there, you know, if the male's talking, the female's talking. Hundred percent. Bulls talking, the cows talking. So it was just like, yeah, yeah I'm not going out, and Ephraim's not taking home the the W on this one. <laughs> I love it. Oh my Pull god, I stops, love the competition brother. too. Oh shit. Yeah, it was cool. It was they're they're an excellent animal on the table, but man, mm-hmm. to to hunt them is something else. I mean, they're just yep. wiry. They're on top of it. I mean, they're they're evolution if you will has just made them phenomenal to chase especially with a bow there's not a lot of room for mistakes i would agree 110 percent. call them in like if they see you that's it or they see movement they don't even release the arrow they're gone they're gone and they don't they don't hesitate they're not that run stop look they're gone no they're they're gone like you're not seeing that animal again they're running they're running a long way yeah yeah. yeah, what a great animal, man. So before we wrap, dude, why don't we give them where they can find Cut Right if they want to get a hold of you, if they have any questions on butchering, if they're up your way and want to put the the mobile to use during season, how do folks get a hold of you? Roger that. So the easiest way with Cut Right, so the Cut Right mobile app is on the Apple Store and the Google Play Store. It's $14.99. And Get a hold of me if you have questions. Oh my God, that dog's making my heart melt. He decided to see who was on the who's on the oh camera my today. God, I love <laughs> it. He jumped up and looked. He just he lo- it literally looked like he was like, who the fuck? Is he he well, he'll look. It's a trip. He watches TV with my wife. I so love he'll, it. He'll jump up and see the face <laughs> on there. It's it's a trip. <laughs> so and then and I say this to everybody anytime. Shoot me a, a DM or as. The kids say slide into the DMs on the the Instagram to cut right mobile app on Instagram. And dude, you've seen, I mean, I'm posting stories with this, the pack them out challenge. I mean, that thing is it's awesome. And I'm gonna continue doing it with both dumbbells just to be savage. (laughs) But I am extremely committed to a new recipe, if not two each week and cooking tips. And so I have to follow up because you saw the comment Joe made about the uh, sirloin cap. Mm-hmm. He wants to know how how to make wild game as moist as that one. So I had a buddy text me and say, you totally sprayed that fucking sirloin cap with oil or something to make it that moist. I'm like, no, buddy, I didn't. I just know how to cook them. So if there's any butchering questions, cooking questions, whatever, DM me on the Cut Right mobile app. If you're in northern Idaho, eastern Washington, the... The mobile wild game processing is Primal Edge Pursuits, and it's probably, quite honestly, easiest just to 
get a hold of me on the Cartwright mobile app with that as well. But starting around hunting season, you'll see me pulling trailer around. And that's a pretty cool business because you don't have to leave your house. Your game's hanging in your garage. I pull up to your house, take your animal in. And depending on upon what animal and what size, you'll get it back in three to seven hours. Wow. Depending upon what it is. Yeah, and I do two moves, it'll be 24. <laughs> then it's 24. But I do I do everything except consumables, right? So I won't make jerky. I won't make smoke sticks. I won't make that. But I can grind into sausage, grind. Like it's pretty custom order. And then like those butchers we were talking about on every package, I write the exact cut as to what it okay. is. And so, but I would... I would encourage people, man, I can get that app and just sit down with your animal. Like they, contrary to what your wife or your husband thinks, they don't want their countertop bloody. The damn things don't bleed once you kill them. Right. Right. Once you remove those quarters, there's not a lot of blood involved, right? All that blood's gone. So the butchering process is not a bloody process. Yeah. There's going to be a little bit, but just put, you know, like a little butcher paper down under it or do it on a cutting board like a normal person, you're going to be completely fine. And it's going to be way more valuable to you. I mean, they said, and look for a big update coming out. We're shooting for February 13th at the start of the show for a big update. Okay. So I would suggest not waiting until season is a month out. Get the app now and start learning that process, right? It's, It's up to us to, you know, take care of what we're, killing out in the field you can't harvest the meat off the the killed (laughs) or the dead animal to its maximum potential right to really utilize that resource so you know don't wait jump on cut right and get that app downloaded support mike and what he's doing here so brother i appreciate it man i i I kind of feel like it's been a long time coming because i've been watching for a long time but i i appreciate your time and thank you for participating with uh with that ruck out challenge man it's been fun Watch Dude, it, I love it. I'll support anything you got. That thing is, that's awesome. Thank you. That's everybody. awesome, man. Appreciate it. Right on, man.